Today's episode is brought to you by the Vegas Beer Guys and the Sounds and Cinema Podcast. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language, and I will not go to my room. Hello and welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is an Indiana Jones edition. Today we talk Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. My name is Michael Schantz of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, the man hoping to judge the distance right, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Give it to him, Tom. You don't know him. You don't know him! You don't know him! <laughs> yeah, he gets into a three-car pileup and just uh, walks it off. No problem. He's out of that car like two seconds later. Also, what the fuck is that about? I don't know. <laughs> clearly <laughs> clearly, he's done that before with Indy in right. the car. All right. I, 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 I couldn't even make that that leap in logic <laughs> i i was it just it made me ask one of the two most commonly asked questions of this film which are what are you talking about and why are you saying it like that <laughs> i ask those questions endlessly oh in this movie. do i and that probably the first time it happens well for the purposes of this podcast, I think we know that I'm going to have all the questions that you're going to have to be batting back at me, like, you know, yeah, uh, Jimmy well, Jimmy I... Connors on the baseline. That's a tennis reference, Tom. <laughs> I think you'll find once that once uh, we're over the halfway mark of the episode, well, we'll connect. Uh, there might be there'll be yeah, there'll, <laughs> there'll be there'll be fewer justifications and excuses. I guess the part where we're going to fight the most is the opening scene, but we'll get to it. Yeah, it sounds like it. I've I've heard rumblings of that. <laughs> in under in my breath episodes we've done. Well, I yeah, I think I think we fundamentally disagree conceptually. Yeah. About one of the moments in this movie. So Oh, many, will, many, I, I many, do... many moments within the one big moment. But I know the moment you're oh. talking about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and we'll, we'll get there. We'll get there pretty quickly. Yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I, I, as far as the second half of the movie goes, I got nothing. Okay, good. <laughs> well, that's the part. Got, that's the part. I got no aces up my sleeve. <laughs> nothing. That's the part where I'll feel more vindicated. You know, it like in the. It, Maybe the 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 giant ants are supposed to represent nineteen fifty science fiction. I don't know. That's about the best I can do with them. I think uh, the giant ants from nineteen fifty science fiction probably looked better. For sure, yeah, and and they were probably made out of plastic and yeah, cheese. <laughs> All right, well, ladies and gentlemen, here we are. Uh, one of two movies we're going to disagree about. Probably. Indiana Jones yeah. and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. It's a 2008 film. Once again, and for the last time, directed by Steven Spielberg. You know yeah. him. Uh, I, I got to tell you, too, I'm really surprised because this movie has 77% on Rotten Tomatoes. 
which concern considering the I thought you were gonna say which concerns me. <laughs> it does. <laughs> it concerns me a great deal. More people should it's have a... disliked this movie. That's ridiculous, seventy seven percent. Uh cont- so Critically, it didn't do as badly. There's a bit of a phantom menace narrative here. Where, uh, you know, the, the initial reception of the movie was not as devastating as, fa- as fandom as fandom you believe. Yeah, yeah. Fan- fandom certainly took it very, took it badly. Uh-huh. I mean, the, I, on, uh, I recently rewatched The People vs. George Lucas, which is a documentary about George Lucas's battles with his own fandom. Yeah. And... Uh, uh, there was a film critic who recalled that the premiere of Cannes, um, of, of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, uh, somebody from the audience stood up and shouted, um, you can't keep doing this to us, George. <laughs> Which is I- interesting for a couple of reasons. One being, George Lucas did not direct this movie. Right. And <laughs> and secondly, because this man essentially uh, heckled a movie uh, to make that point. Yeah. You know, what's funny is, you know, because you and I have had conversations about Steven Spielberg a few times in the past, both on air and off air. Hmm. And even on the ranking episode for this series, I think we talked about how I like Steven Spielberg Spielberg a little bit more than you. Yeah, I've already been taken to task for that on the the Indiana Jones and the Listener's Crusade (laughs) Facebook feed. So you're in good company. All right, good. Well, the funny part to me is I, I'm remembering back now going into this movie that my blind spot is so big for Steven Spielberg, I couldn't conceive of him making a movie as bad as I think this movie is. And I think that's what hurt me the most. Yeah, well, the, that comment, that heckle at Cannes is so interesting because, as as the point is made in the documentary as well, that person immediately identified the movie they were seeing with George Lucas. Yeah, right. Which is both fair and unfair because Steven Spielberg's got to shoulder some of the responsibility for the artistic choices made. But we've already talked about choices that directed. Lucas wanted. Yeah, but that's it. But when you watch the movie, you can see George Lucas's fingerprints all over this, yeah, and totally. you can't believe that he wasn't that he wasn't the figurehead here. Yeah. That Spielberg was the figurehead, so you know I, I don't know if that if that reflects what was going on behind the scenes in terms of the hierarchy shifting. That's what it looks like. Mm-hmm. It's so, it, it doesn't look like uh, Spielberg has the kind of control he had from the past few movies. But I also don't know if that's a narrative I'm creating in my head canon to right. explain this movie. But we've already talked about the idea that. George Lucas would come up with ideas and Steven Spielberg would have to tamper them down until yeah. until he said until Lucas said okay we won't do it. Mm. And clearly that's not what ha- like at this point in their relationship or whatever yeah. however you know so many years later that, that yeah. we're making this movie he was willing to indulge George Lucas and this is what we got. <laughs> And it, but it's well it's well known that he's a he was Steven Spielberg was a less willing participant on this film than he was on the previous yes, films. He didn't right. want to do another one. He was asked back by Ford and Lucas. So maybe maybe it is literally the, just that kind of that shift in the balance of power mm-hmm. that explains why 
he's more um, accepting of of uh, Lucas's vision, right? Than he has been before. I don't know. Well, I really don't know. But I also, you know, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you know, uh, to to start on a positive note, I do also want. Why to would you want to do that? <laughs> because that's my role on this podcast when it comes to uh, early 21st century George Lucas movies. Okay, fine. <laughs> uh, or Lucasfilm movies. I do. I I will vindicate some of George Lucas's choices. It, 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 a lot of them make total sense to me. Well, I can't wait to hear which ones you're talking about. And he's able to explain them lucidly as well. Which I mean, that's <laughs> you, a, that's a first. No, I mean that's a first. If George Lucas sound like a man, de- what? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, like a man dealing with dementia. Exactly right. I believe, I, in fact, I believe John Hurt's Oxley in this movie was based on uh, George Lucas in one of his <laughs> wilder creative uh, screenwriting <laughs> sessions. Oh boy! All right. Well, let's get to it. I mean, first we'll talk. I, I this is kind of surprises me too. I mean, a budget of one hundred and eighty-five million, which doesn't surprise me, and I just—it's so much money. But an opening weekend of 100.1 million in the USA, 317.1 million, and in the world, 790.6 million dollars. So, based on that, I can't, I can hardly believe it took another 15 years to get another movie out. Yeah, and again, I think fandom shut them down. Yeah, made it seem like it would be, you know, a worse. Uh, a worse choice to try I guess, and revive it again. Yeah, the thing that I, you know, I find, I, I'm, I'm really, really fascinated that as Dial of Destiny was coming out, the, the biggest narrative I heard was, well, I mean, really, we wanted to do this to give the fans what they deserve, the big to exercise the demons. The, yeah, the, the big send off. But this is a movie with seventy seven percent on Rotten Tomatoes and almost eight hundred million dollars. Uh, at box office, which is you know more than six hundred million in profit, so well that's it. Fandom and particularly George Lucas's fandom always picks the wrong battles, and they like to rewrite history about how much people like the movies they don't like. Yeah, well, I'm one of them. So, <laughs> well, you you you're sort of maybe I'm part of the problem. No, I think I think you know you're uh, <laughs> you're kind of an you're on the fence. You're an undecided voter. No, <laughs> the the hardcore, you know, I mean, this is, and we could, you know, we can put this in context that this movie was released after the Star Wars prequels, so by this point, people were just kind of the Star Wars fandom was just kind of worn down by those movies, mm-hmm. and they'd lowered their expectations, and so what they didn't like about this movie gave them a confirmation bias that it was all heading in the wrong direction. And when you look at the movie, if you take an overview of the movie, you see that there's, there's good and bad in there. There's some things that work and some things that don't. Uh, but fandom just doesn't... The fandom of this kind of movie doesn't have that kind of nuance. You know, these right. are the people who yeah. want the Snyder Cut. These are the, you know, these sure. are people, they, they want to erase people of color from... From uh, from the Star Wars galaxy, you know that. Like, yeah. It just it does doesn't lend itself to saying, well, actually, 
taken as a whole is it that bad yeah. like that that is just not anything that would cross those people's minds <laughs> these stormtroopers aren't black people right yeah but it's in, but it's interesting you know that the, the, there's lots of ways in which you can see this movie as a success but generally but people simply refuse to do that <laughs> well i at least count myself as open enough to having rewatched this movie and in the first half being really concerned that I didn't hate it as much as I remembered hating it. Yeah. Yeah. Once it, it's a little, again, it's comparable to the Phantom Menace. And what, what, once you get over the, the fact that you're not going to get what you want or what you expect or what you like or should get, you could sort of, you can sort of, um, you know, you go with the flow and just sort of enjoy it for what it is up to a, up to a point and and that's the that's the key i think here yeah we open with lucasfilm and that's the first time in this series that's uh for the first time we see that uh we see it first the yeah and the post prequel right yeah so those are the two big changes we see it first and it's the logo the um the post prequel logo which they've turned leather brown from this. It's usually yeah. luminous green. It's very much like we're revisiting Indiana Jones after having revisited Star Wars. <laughs> so but it's this kind of very... imagery that pisses people off, yeah. right? It's this kind of, it's a sort of like uh, we get. It's basically saying we're gonna do a number on the Indiana Jones films now. <laughs> <laughs> Is what that logo tells. Well, me. there's something you know that'll happen in the next movie that astonished me in terms of that yeah opening credit but to that film's credit if that makes any sense it's not like it didn't start here in some way shape or form lucasfilm is the first thing that you see yeah and then you go into the ospl the old school paramount logo yeah and i'll <laughs> With, i'll uh, the elephant the elephant in the room here is viacom <laughs> no, there was no Viacom in that in that Tower of logo, but no. I guess you know. I guess there's not much you can do about that corporately. But I'm I'm trying to remember now how quickly I probably went from like seeing it in the theater. I probably was so excited for old school Paramount logo, not having to watch stars fly through the sky. Yeah. But then immediately seeing it turn into that fucking CGI prairie dog hill with the CGI prairie dog coming out of it. I remember in the theater saying out loud, oh, for fuck's sake, displeased. Mm -hmm. So b before we before we get there, before we get there, and I'm not just buying time to build my defense. I am doing that, but I also have a point to make. It's, it's interesting that it's a retrofitted Paramount logo, but looking like it did in 1981, mm -hmm. which the original logo didn't do because the the 1981 logo was just what the Paramount logo looked like in 81, the the Nautro logo, right? Mm -hmm. So the nostalgia now is for the time when the original Indiana Jones movie was made. <laughs> right. Which is a whole nother dimension of nostalgia to take into account here. Because the the original move the Raiders is nostalgic for the nineteen thirties. Yeah. 
this movie is nostalgic for the cinema of the 1950s and also the cinema of the 19 the early 1980s yeah okay <laughs> so we got three levels of nostalgia going on here it's probably indicated by this one logo probably at least two too many and we've still got viacom <laughs> And every time I see Viacom, I have to do the, the, the noise. You know, the the audio sting. Yeah. Viacom. <laughs> I, can't, I can't not do it in my head. <laughs> Viacom. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about um, CGI prairie dogs. First of all, I love, the, I love the visual gag that opens the movie. Of course you do. What a literally monster. Turns a ma- literally turns a mountain into a molehill. <laughs> love it. Great. <laughs> It's a it's a gag. It's a play on words. It's not visually. funny. It is funny, and um, it's just what Temple of Doom did. Get the fuck we're out of here. Re- we're just we're we're reinverting the the peak. It's now <laughs> back. It's back to being small as it was in Temple. I don't understand how you can enjoy the <laughs> picture of a picture of a mountain on a gong, and not enjoy this because it's a real gong. With a real picture on it. Well, it's a gong specially made for the movie. I think we can agree. Yes, but that it's not. That it's not. It still takes up physical space for. within the, the world. So, so your objection is literally how it's represented, not what is being represented. Yeah. Okay. But I having think- said that, and I said this in the ranking episode, and I'll say it again, it doesn't look as bad on a small screen as it did on the big screen. On the big screen, it looked so terrible that I I scoffed out loud. That's how bad it looked on a big screen. To me, it's the unintended overlap with Caddyshack that's the problem. Yeah. I think the graphics are I think that's to boot. (laughs) (laughs) I I, I, I mean... You know, even in this first half, which you know I'll, I'll ru- routinely defend, I I do. This is the first kind of editing note for the movie that we could have gone. You could have gone straight from the the molehill to hound dog, yes. and not really lost anything. Agree. Because and but again, you know, the problem is just not thinking through the choice. It's like. Yeah, what other what other famous movie begins this way? A movie called Caddyshack, which is not <laughs> the kind of movie you're trying to make yes. or establish in these opening scenes. But at least it's but at least it's fun, you know. I'm fine. Dial of Destiny, Whatever. So joyless. Anyway, <laughs> there's a lot Don't to be said. Start pre-litigating, sir. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Your Honor. I object. We're talking about the kingdom Dial of, of the Destiny crystal has not skull. been entered into evidence, Your Honor. <laughs> no, you're you're absolutely right. But there's a lot there's a lot to be said for for just doing things because they're fun, and that is a that is another lost art of of movie making. I guess, you know, I, I'm probably overly harsh about that one moment because yeah. there were too many things in succession in this whole front scene yeah, that yeah. kept <laughs> pissing me off. So yeah. by the time I oh, got I to the end of it, I went to the beginning and said, I fucking hate all of it. I am not unsympathetic to your plight. All right. And then it, it continues with the Raiders font. So, so yeah, we've got the to, same. Up to, yeah. <laughs> up to this point, Temple's been the odd man out. Right. And also, you know, this is 
<laughs> this is uh, speaking of you know uh, different layers of nostalgia. We're trying to sort of recreate not the beginning of Raiders, but the beginning of Last Crusade, because the terrain is exactly the same. Yeah, right. Back in the desert, and you know we're with kids again, mm-hmm. older kids, but still, you know. Um, and then we, you know, we we get Elvis Presley's Hand Dog, one of the most famous songs of the 1950s. Sure. Arguably also one of the best singles released. Boy, does uh, this movie want you to know that it takes place in 1957? Well, yeah, and, and chicken racing teens. Yeah, by the way, these these teens who want to race, who's this Russian driver who even has his superior shake his head at him? Keep your eye on the prize, guy. This is the thing. This is the first big stubby fingerprint of George Lucas. I know. The opening of this movie is American Graffiti. Yes. <laughs> And this is his way of all. This is his way of kind of cinematically accounting for the twenty twenty year time lapse. Since what the exactly end of the last movie. does Harrison Ford call? Who's he racing? Is he racing Richard Dreyfus? What's he call, What like? What's the back and forth between them in American Graffiti? I'm surprised we didn't get some of those lines. Yeah. Well, you know, it's it's Lucas putting his stamp on the film by trying to integrate it into the American graffiti verse. Because let's not forget, this was the first more more American, American graffiti, graffiti was, verse. That's great. More American graffiti was the first time he attempted a sequel. If you go yeah, back to right. the the Phantom Menace making of documentary, they they um you hear him having a conversation about what a terrible experience that was and how it put him off making sequels for so long. Oh wow! Okay. Yeah. What's, uh, but it, what's there's some interesting I think there's some interesting uh cinematic choices in this this opening scene when the, I like that when the music f- fades down and they turn it it and they turn it goes to like only diegetic well that is only so that's it the movie begins just with diegetic music there's no non-diegetic music and then once the song is gone we're kind of in silence and it's like it's that is a real that's an inversion of the idea that, that all these movies begin with the John Williams overture, and it's like it's, it's a it's something we haven't done before, and it's quite interesting, and it helps kind of build the ominous tone that that we're that we're leading to at least temporarily. Wow! And the Cold War is coming in hot here. We got so a land hot. invasion of a weapons testing facility on American soil by spies. Yeah, that, but near um, as I can tell, this entire base is guarded by six people: three guys at the front gate, and three guys at the door. I mean, they really got, India, a of, got a lot of a lot of room. Indiana Jones rides the submarine through the ocean. <laughs> I won't keep I won't keep doing that to you, but you know you can. But listen, <laughs> we can suspend disbelief. No, no, I'll keep it. I'm gonna mystery box you because you mentioned something in the uh, ranking episode, hmm. and I'm gonna I'm gonna okay I'm gonna poke holes in the, your defense with it. Look forward to it. I think some movies. I'll just let this out. <laughs> pre-gift you. But I think earlier movies in this series are able to... There's a little uh, there's a little slit there in your wrapping paper. <laughs> yeah. Can just you can peek. Just books. open yeah. it up a little bit. Uh-huh. But I think earlier movies in this series are able to do things like that because they 
kick it like they they hook into a certain tone or mm. beat or something that kind of just flattens it out enough for you to believe it. Whereas this just to me from the moment I saw it looks ridiculous. They get past those three guards at the front. And if you're not looking for it, you'd think there's not a single other person on this base. Because it's way in the background after Indiana Jones gets out of the trunk that you notice them carrying three more bodies behind them. Because somebody must have said, hey, this might not be believable if we don't see another guard or two. Okay. Okay, right. It is... Yes. It is, you know, it's supposed to be a... Ladies and gentlemen of the jury, he has conceded. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it is a secret, it's a secret base, so maybe it's even a secret yes. from the people who work there. Yes, as we all know, all secret bases are so secret that we just yeah. leave them there unguarded. That's right. That's the last thing they'd be expecting. <laughs> okay, fine. I, it's hard to argue about when they turn off into a into a street that has an atomic cafe on the corner. That generally suggests to me that... <laughs> people I, well and also but this is you know atomic testing land there's not supposed to be anyone or anything for miles around oh counter argument <laughs> saying counter argument is not itself a counter argument <laughs> ladies and gentlemen of the jury well played <laughs> if the glove don't fit you must acquit <laughs> Yeah, aren't they destroying but, all these artifacts with this explosion, by the way? Yeah. There's, they've, they've done nothing to make me think he's within walking distance of it. Well, let's... So we're, 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 about, we're about at the point where we're reintroducing Indiana Jones. We're pulling him out of the trunk, but first we have to meet Mac in close-up. <laughs> uh, so I think I think this, this reintroduction is executed perfectly. I think it's fine. I would... I wouldn't do anything different here. It's like the R2-D2 in Phantom Menace. I, w- I mean, we've got the Hitchcock overhead shot. We see the hat first. You know. <laughs> as We see it put on endless... in shadow. We, yeah, we've got the silhouette. We get the, the, the strains of the, of the Raiders theme. And uh, we, you know, we uh, zoom over to Indy and he says Russians. Now. Here's one of my points I want to start bringing up right now, because I've been thinking about this today. Oh, God. Uh I talked a lot about The Last Crusade and how that particular movie and Steven Spielberg himself was clearly signing off. Sure. Saying goodbye to the audience. Yeah. I think he he, just didn't know that the people around him didn't want to do that. that. He had no interest in stopping. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But... I think he does it a lot more deftly in that film. In this movie, it seems like the movie itself is winking at the audience all the time. And I think it's done better here than it is throughout the rest of the film. But this is just, you know, you, you can take some time away from the you, the narrative of your movie for a, for an introductory moment like this. And I don't think it damages anything. I don't think it damages anything until he starts talking. And of course, you know, I mean, I remember being in the movie theater. You're going to just wondering... ignore that comment? 
No, I'll go back to it. Okay, fine. But I, I, I remember. <laughs> oh, you, you, you've been muted for like a. I'm just, I'm just, I'm just watching your lips to see when you stop talking, and then that's when I open my mouth. Fine. No, um, <laughs> no, I remember being in the movie theater when this this came out and thinking, God, how old is Harrison Ford gonna look? And no, he looks good. It it is. I mean, there is something. How old he was he? Was he sixty seven or some something like that? Yeah. yeah, maybe a little younger. Because he doesn't. He never like and in the next in the movie. Outfit. Yeah, in the time stands time stands still. Totally. when he's in that outfit. It, it's noticeably different in the next movie because he really well, is an old man. It's noticeably different, but when he wears any other clothes in this movie. Yeah. When he's a teacher, he looks his age. Mm-hmm. When he's teaching. As soon as he gets into the hat and the jacket, time stands still. Yeah, it's like we I talked agree. about this when when we uh, when we did the Star Trek movies that you know Leonard Nimoy's like when he plays Spock, it's like a space Ramon, <laughs> right? It's just you put them in that outfit and time time does not move around them. Yeah, and it's the same here. So all of that, all you know that reveal of Indy is to me significant because not because it's a it's a bigger moment than it should be for what's happening in the movie. Mm-hmm. But we're reintroducing Indy after a number of years and gosh darn it, if he doesn't look as good as he ever did. Yeah, he does. And also, th- and also this is Indiana Jones. We can have a bit of a fanfare, a bit of a little bit of a drum roll. <laughs> Fine. Earned. I think it's earned. I think it, like I said, I think it, there are comments on his age that I think both work and don't work throughout the movie. Well, there's two of them back to back in right now. Yes, that's <laughs> what I'm. Yeah, two two age jokes within seconds of each other. It's not as easy as it used to be. We were younger then. Yeah, and those <laughs> don't work for me as well as seeing the old man drugged out of out of the out of the back of a trunk. And I think that's. I don't even I don't even attribute that to, to as an as a comment on aging. I think that is pure Lucas, kind of you know surreal. Serial. It does. I mean, it's just like serial. Well, no, I don't. I, I think it's one of those bizarre George Lucas choices that, you know, he's just like let's introduce him in the trunk of a car. I think There's it's no way bizarre, especially once the. Kate Blanchett shows up and she's like, where were they? Mexico. They were looking for these trinkets. I'm like, they've been in a trunk since Mexico? He's been sitting in... His, he, his face has been in Ray Winston's Asshole. <laughs> since Mexico. The darkest crease of Ray Winston's anus. Well, you know, we're, we're pretending like we're in court, so let me just say that <laughs> the, the witness for the prosecution of this being... A bad, a, a a terrible, the terrible movie that you seem to think it is, is, is Mac. Yeah. Let's face it. Yeah. Because they're essentially they're trying, they're trying to have. They're fabricating a relationship that we don't know. The, well, first off, but they're trying. Basically, they're trying to have Wuhan, Kazim, Donovan, and Belloc in one body. <laughs> <laughs> and you can't map that many characters yeah. into one human being. It's just simply, it's not physically possible. You know what I think bothers me the most? Is that they try to bridge this gap between Mac being present in the movie and the audience not knowing who the fuck Mac is with one word. Jonesy! Yeah, but 
this is this we talked about this before. This it's is it's a bridge the, too far. They learned the wrong lesson from Wuhan. They, right. they sort of like, let's just have two people talk about the, their past together to show that they go back. It worked with Wuhan. Why wouldn't it work now? <laughs> I think that's what they're thinking. Yeah. It doesn't help that within minutes of the movie, Indiana Jones goes cross-eyed at gunpoint, which is yes. not his move. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but he remember when we did Return of the Jedi, like Harrison Ford's blind acting. As Han Solo, and he did the same kind of cross-eyed thing. So, it's it's a it's a, it's a, it's a Norman, now. it's a Norman Fell move. Yeah, but it's also something that you know, dementia-ridden Marcus did in Last Crusade. Yeah, not twenty minutes ago. If you're watching these movies <laughs> back, back to back. back. <laughs> so you know, maybe Indy's now the Marcus of this film. Yeah, but what, the, that's the, what the, it's telling anyway, me. for me, just the, the two age jokes back to back is a little too wink wink for me. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And well, 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 I've got other examples of this, but I'll bring it up now. The the <laughs> the impact aging has no impact on the characterization of Indiana Jones. So they don't even need to lean into it. I mean, it just it it, it just kind of. It's just another color on his sloppiness. Yeah, right. And we have an example of that coming up soon. Soon, right. That's the well and what I, I was about it's, to it's scoff a, a, and I was gonna scoff because we have a moment coming up that literally speaks yeah, to it. But it's a it, it's basically a quintessential Indiana Jones moment that they link to age, but when you break it down it's like there's no reason to because nothing nothing is added by <laughs> you know, this is no different from how you would have handled the same situation right. as a young man. And I think that would have been a more interesting way to go. The age makes no difference because it doesn't. No. Doesn't make him. Doesn't. It doesn't make him any more or less sloppy than he already is. Right. <laughs> All right. Well, let's get in the warehouse because we've got gunpowder and. Well, we got to. Well, we got to introduce our indie girl, or one of our two indie girls, I suppose. Well, yeah. I mean, we're gonna meet Kate Blanchett's. Spalco. Yeah. So here's one of my problems with the movie. I love Kate Blanchett. You probably hate her, but I love Kate. Why <laughs> do you think I hate Kate Blanchett? You hate everyone. We've talked about this. It's not true. Who who is the person talking saying that there's good stuff in this movie that no one likes? <laughs> Out of the two of us, I'm sticking up for certain things here and there. Little I'm bit. Not yet. I dread to think what you're gonna do once you get. I'm up talking to the about his mark. age. I'm talking about his age. I think he looks. Oh great. yeah, he looks good. He looks good dressed as Indy. I mean, <laughs> big deal. That's the the one consensus point of this movie. My point is, I don't think she belongs in this movie. I think she's bril- I think she's brilliant. I d- I don't think she's particularly brilliant in this movie. I think she's a brilliant performer. I think she's a brilliant performer. I just don't think yeah. she belongs in this movie. I don't believe for a second Stalin oh, would uh... hire a woman for anything. But they did. I mean, historically, they they were far more gender gender inclusive uh, within the military and the workforce. Order of Lenin's. It's like the movie has I, to explain and make us convince us well, that she deserves to be in this getting, movie. Plus, now you're getting terrible to the haircut. Real problem of this. Now you're getting to the real. If you love Kate Blanchett so much, then you must know that she picked that haircut by herself. I did not. Looking at. Uh, yearbooks from the 1950s. Ooh, Steven Spielberg should have gone, you know, 
complete Lauren Michaels and said, I think it's a no. But he wouldn't because he'd look at that and go, that'll make her look like Louise Brooks from Pandora Box. So I'm satisfied. My old timey cinema brain is taken care of. <laughs> okay. Yeah, well, and you know, she's a... All you do is make me feel dumb when you bring up stuff. I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, all right. Well, basically, I mean, she's modeled after... I mean, Pandora's Box is a famous silent movie. Louise Brooks has the has the same haircut. But essentially, you know, it's it's Greta Garbo is what we're styling the character after. Well, I want, at the end of this movie, I want the alien has one last look into the fucking barrel camera. of the camera <laughs> and you can't bring up the second half of the movie yet <laughs> don't you accuse me of pre-litigating <laughs> we already agree the last the second half of this movie is a trash pile i wanted that alien to speak the words bad haircut and then have her air her eyes yeah. catch on fire well we it wouldn't have made it a better or worse movie by that point, I don't think. <laughs> and the smash and the artifacts are just smashed, which I love because that announces a shift away from the relics. Of this movie being about the relics of the past to mm-hmm. uh, modernist and futuristic concerns. <laughs> but what I was going to say is when you were saying all the the explaining the the lengths they have to go to to explain that to me is the real problem with this opening. The biggest. The biggest flaw is that it's 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 slow and talky, and the openings to the previous Indiana Jones movies are not mm-hmm. slow and talky. Or if they if they were that talky, they don't feel like they were. Yeah. But this, I mean, I don't know. You know, if you do a compare and contrast of the amount of dialogue and the pacing, maybe it is. But it, this feels slow, and it feels like there's a well, lot that's more the thing too. Is to it feels slow, and don't you don't did, uh, like I really notice on this viewing where this movie sits in time, not the story that takes place, but when it was made, because it really is right between, yeah, you know, the end of the '80s going into the '90s, and how films were made then, and how we've already kind of talked about Dial of Destiny and how franchise films are made now, and it's yeah. like the rot of franchise films right now you can see it beginning here yeah you this can. opening's a little bloated it's just a little too long it's a little too talky right. it's not 25 minutes st- but it yeah. feels like 25 minutes it's certain yeah it certainly does and it's interesting as well but in line with what you're saying the idea of fan service has changed and mm-hmm. you know we'll, we'll again We'll talk about what fan service will become in 2023, which is represented by Dial of Destiny. We saw it done relatively successfully in the last two movies. You know, one or two moments which were kind of fan service, but they worked as a moment in their own right. And they you didn't lean too heavily on it. Mm-hmm. And it didn't weigh down the movie. But uh, this is the point in the movie where... <laughs> The warehouse from the end of Raiders of the Lost Ark is retconned as Area 51. Yes, right. By music and image. Um, so that's not just a tribute to Raiders of the Lost Ark. That's a rewriting of history. It's a rewriting of history, and and it, I don't, I just don't think it helps this movie that this warehouse. But compare that to Last Crusade, and you know, <laughs> yeah. is that the Ark of the Covenant? Pretty sure. Pretty sure, right. 
So I guess for me, part of the problem for this movie is that, you know, this feels reminiscent of the warehouse you see in Raiders of the Lost Ark, but it's not the, you know, it's not, it's not the warehouse. It doesn't look like it, you know? I don't even care that it doesn't look like it. I, 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 I just, I don't buy that that's where they were taking the Ark. Yeah, me either. I think that's the big, the biggest cognitive dissonance there. And just, just the idea of, well, now that's ruined <laughs> for me. <laughs> yeah. You know, that's the other, yeah. it's, it's like, I can't look at, I can't, you know, and, and they say you've got to be, you know, with the, like the original Star Wars trilogy, you've got to pretend that what came after it didn't, or before it didn't happen. Uh-huh. So you can just watch it clean. But yeah, you have a hard, hard time to, with that. It just well, you know, I like I like the idea of a film series telling one story mm-hmm. over a series of movies. And, yeah, I understand. And, but yes. it seems but it seems I like sequels are, deter- <laughs> are determined not to do that yeah. at all costs. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> um, and there's lots of like, the dialogue all speaks to what's happened in between <laughs> the last time we saw Indiana Jones. And are seeing, seeing yeah, right. now. I mean, they're trying. That they, you know, there's this, there's this exciting series of exciting adventures that we've not been that we to, don't haven't seen. That we're well, going to learn about. And we're going to get more after this here. scene, after oh, yeah. this set piece. But for um, for now, so we're just it's a lot of emphasis on what we haven't yeah. seen in this yeah, scene. <laughs> absolutely. For now, we just have to watch gunpowder float. And you know, I quite it, it. This is by no means. It's not. You know, it's not up there with the sort of, the the puzzle, the the kind of puzzles of Raiders. Certain, not even up there with the puddle puzzles at the end of Crusade, Last mm-hmm. Crusade. But I'm I'm okay with the magnetic dust. I again lateral pro. Anytime Indiana Jones is doing lateral puzzle solving, I'm happy. This is what I want to see him do. Like he's he's the you know he's an academic protagonist. That, that right. I think, it has to be. But this is the least like, of the academic puzzles that he doing, has to solve. He's doing a very basic science experiment, yeah. which defies the laws of physics. But that's beside. But who cares? By the by, yeah. So I'm, I'm, I like that they went in this direction. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. <laughs> and then you know we get we we go again we go really <laughs> we really lean into the Area 51 of it all because we gotta get a alien corpse an alien corpse yeah sound shapes uh, we're really you know we're hitting the ground running with this idea that that this is mid-century science fiction no longer religious historical yeah we have to uh, we have to hit the 1950s square yeah. between the eyes you know square, yeah. And, you know, it's funny because I remember specifically talking about Temple of Doom and when he's, you know, how much and how enthralled I was as a kid. And I still am today as he's like running around up in the rafters and people are shooting at him. Mm. Mm. Steven Spielberg is able to make that feel dangerous, that Indiana Jones is lucky as he's running through those rafters. I don't have any of that sense as I'm watching this movie and the bullets are flying. Yeah, I feel like I'm watching, uh, you know, fan service. Like it just feels it. It doesn't have the weight to me. It's not even the character is. You know, when the bullets are flying in Doom, he's ducking his head. He's worried. Here, he's just like an action figure in a video game, just like that. Mm. Oh. As Don't, the bullets if, fly. If, if you are gonna set that up now. 
expect to eat your words when we talk about Dial of Destiny. If you want to call him a video game character now, that's nothing. Happy to. Happy compared to. Compared to what's coming. It starts here is what I'm saying. I'm going to put your humble pie in the oven, sir. <laughs> Oh, I, I'm hoping you choke on your piece of pie before we get there. <laughs> Speaking of uh, whips. Um, it's out early. Whip, whip cream. Yeah. <laughs> I have the same thing. Early use of the whip. I've been, apparently, according, apparently 3D I've been tracking the whip like, 13 minutes into the movie. He's so good at By it By the now. way, with 13 minutes into the movie, nothing has happened yet. Right. Nothing of note has happened. And yet he can he's so good with the whip now he can put it in Mac's hands. Hmm. And then yeah. Max Mac reveals himself to be a traitor. It's his first betrayal, let's uh, let's put it in, to yeah. put it in context. Uh and it's supposed to mean <laughs> it's supposed to mean as much to us as the audience. That's so as it that's does my to point. The people yeah. on screen and that and as it's very premature to do that. And I think that is one of the key differences from Wuhan. Like you, but you well, to me, it's a key difference between and then, you're sad about, and then you're sad about him dying, yeah. So then, sort of, the idea that you know you've got to invest in this character very quickly, but the only time we've seen the double the cross is Elsa, and that's the you know, so that's the that's half, yeah, half the movie, and uh, yeah, you don't find out, out yeah. until halfway through the movie, and that's the difference. That movie understands yeah. this, and this movie doesn't. So no, absolutely. Tick in yeah. the, it tick in the box of poorly done. But, but also, if we, ladies uh, and gentlemen, just to, but again to put it in context for the rest of the movie, imagine how different we'd feel about Mac if this was the only time. Yeah, he was revealed to be a traitor in the entire movie. <laughs> like we could just accept it and move on. Mm-hmm. You imagine that movie. <laughs> It's already a better movie. It's already good. Yeah, it's already yeah. much better. Even though this doesn't work, it's this is not this this is not as bad. This works better than what we're gonna do later with Mac. <laughs> yes, I, have to, I agree. In with relative that. terms. Well, we already kind of talked about the rafters, but then it's funny because we get we get a, we get the beginning of a like a Pat Roach style fight. But early in the movie, so again, the timing of it seems off because, yeah, you know the the magic of Raiders is you you meet Pat Roach, and five seconds later you get the fight. Like you don't he, the mm. the second he walks out of that tent and he's just like, look at that guy, I'm gonna fight him. <laughs> you know, it's like you mm. know everything you need to know about that character in five seconds. Yeah. And then you you know you meet him earlier in the second movie then he's you know this whole fight's missing in the third movie. Yeah. But this is one of two fights that he's going to have with the big guy. Mm. And it feels premature once again. Cuz it you know it doesn't mean anything to us. Yeah. Yeah, it's the same as it's the same with Mac, isn't it? It it's I don't, you know, if if you were giving it the benefit of the doubt, you'd say it's it's another they're, they're going back to what they did with Temple of Doom, where this is the end of. This is the finale of the last movie. Mm-hmm. You know, in the same way that Temple was sort of two thirds of the way through. Yeah. The previous indie adventure, I guess you could see this the, the uh, the same way, or I guess that this is like the end of the end of a series of adventures. <laughs> The Indiana Jones has been on that are much more exciting than this one. Yeah. 
Yeah, so we and we use the whip twice before the fifteen minute mark. So there's no there's no iconographic restraint in this movie. It's like mm-hmm. we've got we've we've got the brand name. We've got to use it as much as possible. The rule of three will become what the rule of five. Yeah, and he and you know, and this doesn't have to be an aging gag, but he misjudges the distance. Yeah, which, but it is an aging he, gag in the film. It is, but this is where I sort of think like this is something Indiana but Jones it's would some, do. Yeah, you're right in the sense that it's something Indiana Jones could do just because he's a fuck up. But it only it only feels like an aging comment because he mentions it afterwards. Yes, yeah, right. If he didn't mention it afterwards, we would just go, "Oh, classic Indy." Mm-hmm. So there's something about him mentioning it, which is a note I have throughout the movie. Anytime you can take out Harrison Ford saying things to himself, just strike it. It's gone. Mm-hmm. You should just anytime. Don't even like you know, just anytime you see it. Doesn't matter what scene it's in. <laughs> but that's the thing is like that's the sitcom kind of feel of this movie when they do those things, and so yeah. it, it falls so flat for me that it take something that i I like like it overall that i like and it drops it yeah a half step back. i mean it it all i mean it just shows again it shows that he's clumsy he's behind the eight ball and he's fallible we know this Mm -hmm. about him this is this is so we don't need commentary on it we don't need any yeah the commentary is the problem i think uh and also you know as i said the last crusade begins with an aging joke so (laughs) We're already... We're way 20, past it. We're, we're, way, we're way past that. <laughs> this is about the time we get the... A, li- a line I really like because it, it... This is what I think Lucas is going for. Is to make it feel like a movie that was made in the 1950s. Not just that harks back to the 1950s. Of all the lines of... Di- when they ask him for his last... Is it they ask him for his last words? Or if he wants to say anything? And he says... I like I. Yeah, right. And if it's like, they're probably thinking of some 1950s propaganda war movie they've seen <laughs> where that is a line of dialogue. And I like, I just like the idea that the, the that they're putting themselves in the mindsets of people making a movie in the 1950s. And that's an extra leap that filmmakers like Lucas and Spielberg have that, again, modern M- filmmakers yeah, don't Yeah, they have. don't have it all. Or if they do, they're like referencing back to I don't know, Cameron Crowe or some shit like that. (laughs) Whereas that would be like a Sam Fuller movie or something, you know, that they're thinking of, or Frank Capra. Um, So I really like that they didn't go with, what I'm saying is I really like that they didn't go with a good line there. They just went with like the kind of a line that that a a full-on propaganda anti-communist 50s movie would go for. Yeah. So, But then it's also... That's where it connects the dots for me. Well, what the vision of this well, that's movie what I mean because there's things that. that I like and there's things that I don't like because for you know I mentioned the... I've not heard about many of those things that you like yet though. I've talked. I've <laughs> talked a little bit, <laughs> a very little bit. I mean, I'm only reading your lips while you're on mute, but it doesn't just seem a like very you're, uh... little bit. But I, you a, know, a... I said I like the I like the academic, you know, thing that Indiana Jones is doing. I like that. Mm-hmm. I think he, like you said, he looks great in the suit. But, you know, for every good thing that they do, I like the swing. I like him swinging on the lights and missing it. I don't need the commentary afterwards. 
That's, I like yeah, that's how I feel about most. I movies. like Indiana Jones running on rafters and getting shot at and not shot, but I want to have a sense that there's danger, so it's just executed see, poorly. Yeah. But they've they've abandoned. This is potentially a problem, but again, if you sort of tune into their frequency, not so much. Is that they've abandoned realism in the look of the movie? That's the problem. Yes. Well, I didn't say I didn't say it was a problem. No, it's a problem. <laughs> That's what but I hate. It, it's definitely a, a mental hurdle you have to jump over if you're going to embrace the movie. Because I am not. The previ- I'm not going to embrace it. So <laughs> that's too much. It's too 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 much. Too much too to much ask of me. Abandonment. Too much to ask of me. But if you think about it, that there's magic realism in. Well, certainly from Temple Doom onwards. Well, we'll get to it. In terms of in terms of content, right? But stylistically, we've kept one foot in the real world. Yes. And this movie has firmly taken its foot away from that. Yes. <laughs> Terra firma. Uh, and and that's all, and you know, and that's represented in the in in the brand, you know, the um, what's his name, Kuzminski, the the cinematographer. Mm. An entirely new color palette for this movie that makes it look perpetually like sunset wherever they go. Yeah. It looks more like a comic and, book. Well, it it just it doesn't it 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 looks kind of it looks less real than Technicolor. <laughs> I was about to say it looks like Technicolor, but like yeah. Technicolor movies are actually you know they 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 uh, they have links. They still feel like the real world in some senses. This is beyond Technicolor. Mm-hmm. This is like. It's an entirely entire fantasy world. Is this film in the way that shot digitally. A lot of it was there is there's a lot of practical stuff, but it. Do was, you think you that's know, part a, of it? A mix. There's a lot of um, like not being shot on, on film. Sets. Well, a lot of it not being shot on location. Yeah, that's obvious, but <laughs> including so much of this front scene, you know, it just feels like yeah. one big set. Sure, but I, I just, so I wasn't bringing this up necessarily as a negative, but I recognize that cognitively, if you can't get past that, you're not, you know, you might as well just leave the movie there and then. Yeah, that's part of my, I think that, you know, what you've just outlined is, has been part of my problem all along because it grains against the other three movies that I know and like. But there is, there is a kind of a, a sort of, there's a kind of trickle down effect though isn't it each of each of the movies get less and less grounded in reality as they go so this feels like the the next the culmination the culmination of that rather than the um you know so this sudden drop off in realism it, just it does feel sudden to me that's it infected the whole look this is just this infected the whole look of the movie but i will agree that and you add that to the technology changes yeah. It, they, it, they feel but like I will agree that feel part... like they were made centuries apart which yeah. they were <laughs> do you feel like they were but you know <laughs> what I mean like like actual whole centuries apart <laughs> yeah but part but, but part of what you're talking about I don't think it just came out of the blue I think it did start in last crusade there are moments yeah, in, agree, yeah. but far you know there are fewer further between so I think it's it's also a, an attitude isn't it it's like caring less about realism Yes. On the filmmaker's side. Totally. And and that's what I mean, though. I mean, I was speaking yeah. to it earlier about that. That's the wink, wink, you know, portion of this film that doesn't work for me is that mm. 
We don't, we seem to have abandoned reality and now we're just in a movie. Let's have a good time at this movie. Yeah, but when you say it like that, I, I, again, is there, there's no essential difference between that and, and Raiders and Temple of Doom. and There, there is for me. Pushing, they're all pushing that line. It's a matter of degree, not kind, at the very least, because they, you know, the, the Ra- Raiders and Temple of Doom, they want, they want you to, to feel like you're in a Republic serial. Mm-hmm. And but that I like. And has so many meta moments. Yeah. And this movie is doing, you know, it, it's it's doing what I think is a very a smart dual update where it's, you know, historically we're moving forward to the 1950s. So let's update the frame of reference, the cinematic frame of reference to 1950s movies. It makes total sense to me. All right. Conceptually. But, um... Conceptually, maybe, but in practice, no, no. <laughs> I think in practice, yes, no. <laughs> a yes and then a no. All right, let's get to the explosion, because we've already been talking about this front scene for a fucking hour. <laughs> <laughs> and here's me thinking this would take less time. Fuck's sake. Well, we got the digital countdown and the electronic shuttle. So Mm -hmm. it feels more like James Bond than ever before. And once again, (laughs) Moonraker is the pull. (laughs) (laughs) Always and forever. And this is all, there's there's another Moonraker-esque moment. We see, just as we see some of that movie through the eyes of a pigeon, we see some of this movie through the eyes of a gopher. Or a prairie dog. So my problem is... And they, I, th- they squeak. I think my biggest they problem, yeah, squeak. I think my biggest problem with the prairie dogs is that we don't just see them once; we see them three times. We see them as the rocket ship goes by, three and then as Indiana drops. Jones gets off the rocket ship and crawling into the uh, dirt. By the way, Russians, just take a quick look around. He's ten feet from you. Yeah, he didn't get too far. But anyway, uh, did, once we did, get she- to. The third time that he's the third time that Indy sees the prairie dog, he should say, he should say, "You're my best friend. I'm gonna take <laughs> you back with me to Marshall College. I'm gonna put you in a zoo." Oh, that would have been amazing <laughs> if it was like the Porgs. That, you go back to Marshall College and he's a fucking prairie dog on his desk, stuffed, <laughs> stuffed. Yes, I was because... just gonna say. <laughs> All right, let's talk Leadline Fridge. And just get okay. it out of the way. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know why we have to get it out of the way. I'm happy to talk about it. All right. Here's the problem. Mm. Now I'm <laughs> so going. See, you're starting off on the wrong foot. Now I'm going to enter into evidence. Keeping an open mind. I'm going to enter into evidence. Okay. You've talked about the whatever magical realism of the cart jump. Yes. In Temple of Doom. I have. Here's what I see as oh, the. If you're gonna, if you get, if you get a counter your own argument i'm not before you've made your argument you're screwed i'm not here's the difference between temple of doom and this movie the movie understands the movie temple of doom understands that what is happening is ridiculous the movie gets that it's a joke this movie doesn't. No, I disagree. Why? Look at what comes. You're taking it out of context, like like every toxic fan does. How taking, dare you? I'm not calling you a toxic fan. I'm saying you're aligning yourself with them. <laughs> you're oh, taking it you. totally out thank of context. Thank you for the distinction. 
this this sequence this sequence begins with Indiana Jones walking through a nuclear test town. Yeah. The movie's not the movie's not trying to make a like a serious point. I mean, they they're making an overall point about suburbanization and commodification, the conformity of 1950s America. But it's very kitsch and heightened and the lead line fridge is just the kind of, you know, the grow of all of that. I, I'm talking about just the jump and just the fridge blast. I, 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 I just don't see it. I don't. I, I, so this, I, for the, for the, for the blast itself, I appreciate how subversive this is, that it's drawing attention to this aspect of American history decades before Mr. Nolan would get credit for doing it and this and Steven Spielberg are <laughs> only flack. But never mind yeah. that. <laughs> but also, the, you know, the, like I love all the stuff in the suburbs with the fake families and the. It's like. Oh, that's in- fine. I just well, have yeah, a problem the with scene. the fridge. I don't know. The fridge is one of. is Of all the crazy things that happen in Indiana Jones movies, this is maybe somewhere in the middle. You know what happens when you get locked inside of a fridge? You can't open it from the inside. He's just stuck in there. The door does not open for him. I, I, you can't. Uh, you can't be like. He starves to death inside of the fridge. You can't argue that blast would kill him, and also would like with in the same breath argue, and he wouldn't be able to get out. He'd be dead. So what does it matter? <laughs> well, I'll I'll concede the. If if this I'm gonna like, concede, this is like Dewey Dewey Crow in Justified. You know, if I'm gonna with a gun, if I'm gonna it's, concede it's like, the ridiculousness, like, I don't know who that is. I didn't. I never even seen it. <laughs> if I I think he's dead inside of the fridge from the blast, just because I think he's broken his neck. But let's say okay. he doesn't break his neck. He doesn't get out of the all fridge. All right, all right, Jim Garrison. Let's. Uh, <laughs> We're through the looking into... glass here, people. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> as a reason he was uh debunked well i i just i don't i don't in the context of the way the series has gone up to this point i i just don't think this is a big deal and i think it's hugely unfair that this moment has been highlighted as representing some loss of realism in the series or i think I, people's I, mo- I think people's biggest reaction to it is the cgi of it it doesn't look real, so it doesn't seem like that should make it better, though. Something he could survive. If it doesn't look real, then the movie. That's better. You, that... you have yeah, to turn that's... it into a cartoon for him wait, to survive. What? So wait, wait a minute. What you want, like Werner Herzog nuke the fridge? What? What do you? What, <laughs> what do you want from this scene? You want yeah. it to be. I want you, want you to your... put a fridge in a cannon. And you want it shoot to it. know it's a joke, and yet at the same time be represented like a documentary. No. I, I I don't think I don't that that's the problem. I think that you can't turn this into a joke. I don't think it is a joke. I think it's again it's just like the the minecart right. isn't a, that's isn't what's a wrong. Ga- the mine but it's not supposed to be a joke. It's a it's a fun again. It's like the minecart. It's a fun thing that happened in the middle <laughs> of an adventure movie. All I'm saying is I think the movie knows that it's ridiculous. I don't know that this movie knows that the fridge is ridiculous. But in Raiders, they they made nothing of him riding that submarine through the ocean. Yeah. Well, that's ridiculous. I didn't say it wasn't. Why isn't culture talking about 
you know, riding us, we really rode the submarine on that one. I mean, we didn't have toxic fandom in the well, this, early eighties like we do now. But I, and we, like, I don't want that to be the 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 conversation. It's just, it's just, it's just stuff that happened in a movie. Having said all of that, on this watch, it didn't bother me as much as it did when I first saw it. No, and you know, again. I think you're thinking of the CGI Prairie Dogs. I think that's what ruins it for you. I, I think if it hadn't ended with that, you would have been, you would have been a little happier. I just think all the CGI in this movie. So it's look that does it, not serve this movie well. Yeah, because, because, how is this different from them jumping out of an airplane in a life raft? In there, terms of realism. There were three it, actual dummies pushed out of a life raft. It, right. It's so real. Argu- so it's your real. argument is your argument is it, it was it was represented practically and it looked better. Yes. So nuke the fridge isn't the problem. The act of him being in an in a fridge No yeah. a nuclear explosion isn't all right, that's all I'm saying. Yeah. That's all okay. Well we uh, uh, Once he gets into a fridge and you see the word lead lined, I get it. He's gonna survive. Because it's leadline. Okay. So it's just, but I'm trying to figure Until out. Until the like, moment what, he gets out of it and goes and walks the fucking dust. I'm starting cloud. to get the sense that what you, what you don't like about this is different from what fandom doesn't like, and that makes me happy. Fine. Because I don't want you going over to their side. <laughs> I don't think I'm on their side. I don't. I don't want them. <laughs> I don't want them to use a crystal skull to make you think like they do. All right. Let's take a break. Okay. We'll come back and we'll scrub off. We'll we'll adjourn. Yes. We'll take a ten minute recess. Bang your gavel. Take a ten minute recess. We'll be right back right after this. An hour and six minutes. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook. They're on Instagram. They'll try new beers. They'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. Court is in session. (laughs) We're back. Talking Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Oh, 
Well, I think we'll start agreeing now. <laughs> uh, well, then next, I'm at the radiation shower, which, yeah. you know, it's so much like Dr. No, you know I like it. <laughs> See, to me, it always seems like an easy fix to a serious problem. Once he gets out of that fridge, he's going to die of cancer in a week. But well, it's the same with Do- same with Doctor No. The idea they give him the scrub shower. bath and he's you fine. Could, you could shower off radiation. I mean, it's just not how it works. What I'm more concerned about, you know, between talking to Mac at the beginning of this film, and yeah. and you know, and then what we're about to see, but mm-hmm. everything we've seen Indiana Jones do in the past. Does that lead you to think that he somehow becomes this war hero that goes on 40 to 50 different missions? No, but it, I, I I like the adaptation of the character in that direction. Okay. I like the idea of... And again, that that's against just a shortcut to show that... That's what it feels like to me. Like, I don't World know that war I hate II it. Has happened. I, yeah, no, I, don't I, hate I, it. I don't know that I hate it, but I also don't know that I buy it. Tantalizing. I don't know that it buy that I buy it, and it seemed more like an easy fix. I can see the Indiana Jones of Last Crusade going that, doing that, going that direction, not Temple of Doom or Raiders. Yeah. Okay. All right. But, you know, we talked about that that turn that kind of turn towards conservatism and. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know middle of the road politics yeah and they're also so matt was working for mi6 as well so again we get more of that bond pastiche <laughs> um and it's also you know it's just a chance to uh, we get one of these in every movie uh and i guess we will until his body stops looking good we just want to see some naked harrison ford right his body still looks good. Put it on screen. Sure. I'm all for that. It's what I like most about Dial of Destiny, I think. <laughs> Seeing his half-naked body. A lot, a lot, a lot We're going to get letters. A lot of the female film critics in... Uh, felt the same way. Can, can felt the same way. you got questions <laughs> about that. And the, this... this see, I, I don't remember enjoying this They were saying, give me movie. some of that old dick. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, but he's, he's, you know, he's still got a good body. The, I, I didn't not remember not particularly liking this scene when I first saw it, but I really like it now. And it's got so much subversive... Con- this is, you know, where he's being interrogated mm-hmm. by the FBI, yeah. CIA... I think they say FBI, don't they? ABC... Oh, they say, okay, FBI... And again, look, it's along with the atomic blast and the, you know, it's like playing, they really play up. And this is something that I only really noticed on this, this viewing. They really play up the witch hunting side of U.S. intelligence. Yeah. So that seems like the biggest, I don't know. I I shouldn't be so down on it because whatever, this this movie does take place in 1957. And those were the circumstances of America in 1957. But that 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 makes it kind of more interesting than doing what I also like, which is to sort of pretend that you're a movie from the fifties mm-hmm. in you know in viewpoint as well. This is kind of like those fifties movies which were seemed to, you know, be jibing with what the consensus was, but underneath was saying something kind of radical and provocative. Yeah, I guess for me, that, I always you know, I always felt like. 
the Russians in this movie may as well have been the Germans because they're just surrogates for the Germans, but it's 1950s, so they can't be Germans. And it just felt... Yeah, but, but you know, historically and cinematically, that's the territory there. Yeah. they That's the business they've chosen. So I think it's fine. And I don't think it's particularly different to how the Nazis were used in Raiders. No, I agree with all of that. I think for some yeah. reason, like, I, I, I want these movies to have fewer Germans in it. So I don't know why yeah. it rubs me wrong. Yeah, no, it I, just you... does. Because <laughs> yeah, that is, it feels that's not something that it feels as though that they are in that they are Germans in everything but name. Hmm. I guess. I don't know. There's just something that rubs me wrong about it. I mean, it's, you know, totalitarianism 101, really. Yeah. Except Indy, you know, the, I guess the difference is that you can't imagine Indy going along with what the Nazis want him to do. And yet, there's two or three instances in this movie where he completely plays along. Yeah. With the communists and, and makes their job a lot easier. So that's the, I guess that's the other thing. I was, I was kind of, I was just thinking about that today, about how much he does that in this movie. And he's... At at one point, I think Mac even says, "What the fuck are we doing? Like, what what are you helping them for?" Mm. He's like, "For I think he says for now or something like that." It's in you know in Indiana Jones' mind, I think he always can help them for now, and it will lead yeah. to an escape later. I, I guess so, but you know he wouldn't have to escape if he didn't help them succeed. Yeah, right. Uh, I love that he's he's got the white t-shirt look from the fugitive when he's being interrogated. <laughs> yeah, I feel like. Did you notice that? I feel like that's deliberate. Did you notice that left hand come up at one point? You like you almost felt like you were gonna get a double point. A double point. <laughs> you find this man. Yeah. You find this man. I think it was right around right around. Oh really? Which side did you fight for? But that's the other that's the other interesting thing because it's a sense of you know that the the because um, they're both agents are, are like generations younger than him and there's it's about the generation gap basically yeah. the fifties is is telling the greatest generation that, that you're traitors. not so great <laughs> yeah, yeah. That you're un American these people who fought in two world wars and it's just you know it's just a really interesting spin on the politics of this era. And especially when General Ross comes in. Another lifelong friend. That's two so far in the first 20 minutes yeah. of this film. But, I mean, this, you know, we haven't we haven't seen the World War Two here, so presumably that's what the two of them were working together. It's not a lifelong friend. It was like his, that was his, his commanding officer. Yeah, they've been friends for at least two decades. So, I, you know, I like the tone and style of this scene. But again... I do, too. I, I like it more a, than I'm letting on. I You know, I think the scene's There's fine. a lot of... A lot of talk about what we're not seeing and what, yeah. what what's happened before this that sounds like it could be quite interesting. What I like, what I kind of liked was this new dimension of Indiana Jones, because whenever he's dealing with, like, say, the government stooges yeah. in Raiders of the Lost Ark and Brody tells him that they want to see me, he's like, well, what do they want with me? You know, like with his age has come this gravitas where he's yeah. just telling the youngsters that they can go fuck themselves. And I like that dimension yeah. that aspect of indiana jones in this moment that that part i really like and you know it, it's interesting what a, i like the sense that there's a kind of 
undercurrent and this is you know historically the case and a lot of movies of this era were also pointing this out is the the irony that what is going on the anti-communist witch hunts of the of the four of the late 40s and 1950s was basically promoting the idea of fascism on american soil which mm-hmm. yeah a whole generation of americans had just fought against overseas sure and you're essentially allowing it to blossom there. We all know how that ended <laughs> with a fascist president of the 21st century. But um, <laughs> but it's made very clear, you know, like we've gone from Donovan is the, the you know, the American bad apple yeah. collaborating with the Nazis to the FBI and the CIA kind of being the enemy within. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're specifically persecuting American intellectuals like, yeah. you know, so they are the book burners. Right, right. Because you know, but it all they, it they, all lends into the history of McCarthyism. Marshall, they take apart Marshall College. Yeah. So it's really it's it's an interesting story turn. It's a good in scene. These scenes. Yeah. And then I, well, I yeah. you know, kind of going back to some of my problems with the movie because it's so like one step forward, two steps back. Once we get to Marshall College, and we're gonna have you know a surrogate come on in. Because uh, we're going to get yeah. Jim Broadbent basically as Brody, but we don't know who the fuck he is. But, you know, it's kind of like we said for well, Last Crusade. He's coming in in the exact same way that yeah. Marcus would have. Like, they're introducing us to, to him as if we should know him. And, of course, we don't. But I also think they it's missed also- out on an opportunity, Tom. I wanted Harrison Ford to say something that he thought was super funny and charming and scan the room for the kids just loving his show and nobody being interested. And then him going out with Jim Broadbrand. Well, we've got to wait until the next movie before the, the, the hilarious scene uh, with, his, with his students. Um, I don't like the way you said hilarious. What's it mean that I can't even remember what you're talking about? <laughs> exactly. But the the thing is, it's it's a it's it's a simultaneous. We'll have to come up with a with a specific term for this, but it's a sur- it's a simultaneous surrogate and retcon. Yeah. Because, and I just want to get this. <laughs> I want to enter this <laughs> into the record, okay? <laughs> but before this movie, Marcus is not the dean of Marshall College. Mm-hmm. He is not the dean of Marshall College. <laughs> he is the director of the museum that Indy takes his stolen shit to (laughs) and by having it appear as if jim broadbent is the same person that marcus is by having him enter the same way right and this was you know this is actually this is more than a retcon it's gaslighting (laughs) because in the make in the making of Steven Spielberg says, and of course you've got Marcus Brody, the dean of students. Like, no, 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 no. You can't slip that in like that. He was <laughs> never the dean of students until this movie. So even after Denim Elliott is dead and Marcus is no longer a character in the movie, we're still not done retconning the character. Yeah, right. So that's all. <laughs> it's just just ridiculous. Um, He was just visiting Indy. Mm-hmm. He was never the dean of students. Never, never. <laughs> Jim Broadbent tells Indy that he's He's been in fired. trouble. Yeah, you got to get the fuck out of here. But and don't worry. Been I've been fired. 
I've got bad news and good news. I think it's weird that this movie sets up Jim Broadbent as though he's an antagonist to Indiana Jones. Because even when he walks in the room, Indy looks at him like, what the fuck are you doing in my room? And then he says, yes. And then they go outside. He's like, like, actual teachers at this college? Yeah. Thank you. It's like, you fucking piece of shit. You let them do this. You let them do that. And then all all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Broadbent's like, no, Indy, I resigned. (laughs) You're like, oh, so... So they're another lifelong friend. Yeah. Thank God. Don't worry. In two back... minutes, we're going to hear about Oxley. That's, that'll be the the fourth lifelong friend that Indy's had in this movie. Yeah. That we don't know at all. But before that, we're going to see some... Well, they're not... Yeah, we're going to see a, a, a lifelong friend. and Picture form. Yeah. The Desk of Death. Yeah. <laughs> Complete with soft focus. Soft to focus. The embass. Do you notice that Marcus Brody is his picture is clearly just a still picture taken from Last Crusade when he was lost in that market? Uh, so you know, the it was reported that Sean Connery was kind of asked to come back for a cursory role and didn't want in the movie a cameo in the movie. Didn't want to you know do it in mean, 2008 i don't think he was particularly well at that time either i don't think he he would have been able to do much he'd certainly retired already so yeah but it's it's just i always find it amusing when move characters in movies are killed off when the actor is still alive yeah you don't like that we had this with with uh paulie in uh, uh creed mm-hmm and so it's just sort of like you're looking at this, this you know, basically this immemorium for a guy who's still like around kicking. I, I you know, you that's it's your just, beef and not my beef. You hate. I, that. I'm not. It's not a beef. I just think it's it's uh, you know, you've Denim Elliott died, and that's why he's not in there. Sean Connery just chose not to do the movie because they didn't give him a decent role. It's, you know, yeah. And, so you kill it's, him. It's fine. Well. You, like, well, what would the you way, prefer? The way they ling- you really the, the hate the thing get... about Mutt in the next movie. What would you prefer? A one-sided phone call of Indy talking to his dad and or his son? Yeah, he's... he's... No, I'm going to Egypt or I'm going to Yeah, he's going... Greece. He's, in the 007, he's in the 007 rest home from the original <laughs> draft of Skyfall with George Lazenby and Roger Moore and Timothy Dalton. But the lingering focus on on the Connery picture oh, yeah. for a second, I was like, "Is is the photo going to come to life?" <laughs> the only other explanation is this movie wants to make a point about fatherhood early on for some reason. Oh yeah, you know, <laughs> I wouldn't put it past this movie for Connery to come alive and say, "Good luck, son." Like uh, Ghost Diana from the recent series of The Crown. <laughs> I By haven't way, seen that. Wow. By, by the way, it's very easy to skip those scenes, <laughs> which I did when I watched it. You can see Ghost Diana coming a mile away. Great. Don't worry. Well, then we so, need Mutt. Well, and we, he's well, on the train. We go, I mean, you know, that, that classic uh, classic Spielbergian subtlety. We go from a shot of yeah. Indy's father straight to into his son. a shot of two Indy's... Indy's uh, unconfirmed son at this point <laughs> confirmed in all but name essentially right. uh yeah and he, he he's come straight from an exhibit on the 1950s in a local museum 
<laughs> okay, good. And th- this is the. This I like. The I like to the... hear you get a dig in there. And it's it's like a, this is the moment in the movie. This where is more of what I want. Setting the movie in the fifties and the fifties as it's represented in Hollywood film are are one. Right? So when, yeah, when I mean we're emerges not emerges from the smoke as Marlon Brando in the Wild One. In the yeah, exactly. And pretty soon we're literally gonna get, you know, when we get to the soda shop, we're gonna get this moment, <laughs> this moment that looks like it should be straight out of Greece. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he puts his, you know, he 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 dips his like every fifties teenager did. He dips his comb in a in a neighbor's coke. <laughs> you know, you, you know. I don't have to tell you which person in both of our lives I thought about when that happened in the movie. Oh, I think you do have to tell me. Oh, that was that was my Lady Chew moment. <laughs> when he put that comb. Oh, I see. I thought you meant the... somebody that would do that, not some. No, I see. No, someone who would be appalled, appalled. by that. Yes. As I was mildly appalled just thinking about how she would react to it. Yes. You know what I like the most just, about like that 50s, moment? Yeah. Uh, because Especially because I don't know if it was planned or an improv, but I like the woman sitting at the table who yeah. looks at the guy and says, like, mouths the words, he just put his comb in your Coke. <laughs> <laughs> that's, uh, that's some great background acting right there. Good stuff. Yeah, and fifties youth cultures just run, just running rampant to the point where people are sticking their combs in yeah. glasses of coke, um, and you know there's a compl- the, the unsaid father son dynamic is is there throughout. You've got the interplay with the beer taking it on, and taking off. it on and off. Yeah, you're thinking about the milkshake scene from Last Crusade, and you've just seen a picture, you've seen a photo of Sean Connery, mm-hmm. so your your mind's already gone there. Also, I think this is some of the best acting in the entire movie from Harrison Ford. Agreed, yeah. For both of them, frankly, yeah. They're, you know. For both of them, and definitely um, Harrison Ford. Uh, So they start to talk about El Dorado, essentially, Mm -hmm. and the Crystal Skull. And they're kind of doing their best to try and link it all back to ancient archaeology. Which and this this is a the big difference in the in the kind of folklore element of this movie is that they not because all of these movies take an aspect all of the Indiana Jones movies take an aspect of folklore and try and make it seem like historical fact that they all do that yeah but this movie is going scraping the bottom of the barrel right wing <laughs> conspiracy theories. <laughs> That's the folk. That's their level of folklore. Right. Crystal skulls, automatic writing, crop circles. Mm-hmm. Right. E- like everything that toxic masculinity is latched onto <laughs> to prove that people of color weren't capable of of uh, you know creating civilizations centuries before civilizations existed right. in Western culture <laughs> by you know they say aliens did it essentially. Mm-hmm. So and and you really see you know you really <laughs> you can't really stitch those together, and they try desperately. They'll you know they're, they're talking about El Dorado and the Crystal Skull as if they're the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, now, one is a made up piece of bullshit. The other one is a kind of historical legend. It's different. <laughs> sure. One is based on a, a you know it has a factual basis. The other is, you know, nonsense that Dan Aykroyd uses to sell his vodka. Man, you've really got it out for Dan Aykroyd in this vodka. 
I've mentioned it a few times. I'll I? say. Did you notice when this brawl starts that Harrison Ford takes his hat off and puts it on one of the teenagers? No, I didn't know. That's pretty good. He's I, trying I to like throw this. the KGB off the scent. I, I, I like the, the kind of uh, aging adjustment of Indy now just kind of orchestrating other people's fighting. Yeah. But just using the young guys as muscle. That's, yes, exactly. He's kind of choreographing the fight. I like it. Well, it, it, it's the reset of Indiana Jones's character is as strong as ever as well because he says in the scene, it's just a story. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's like the chunker stones, the arc, the grail, no impact. No impact. On his ability he, he is, to believe yes. in, mytholo- in mythology. It's not until the next movie that we're going to get the speech about few times in my life I've seen things. It was all true. The force, everything. <laughs> but this is a, you know, I'll stick up for Steven Spielberg in this moment because I think this is a good chase scene. It's a good action scene. <sighs> You real I, I again I'm not pre litigating here, but rewatching this movie after having seen Dial of Destiny, there are some directors who can handle action and there are some directors who can't yeah. simply. Um so and that's all I'll say about it right now. And Steven Sp- <laughs> Steven Spielberg is certainly in the former category and this this scene and then the net the kind of linked set piece that is about to happen mm-hmm. really demonstrates that. There's nothing on that level in Dial of Destiny. We'll see. I have to rewatch it. <laughs> getting really accustomed to the hope that, it, <laughs> that you'll remember something you know what made me you know I'm what saying. made me hopeful for james mangold was uh 310 to yuma because that's a movie i really like for most people it was uh because of the compa- where it is comparably in terms of a franchise um logan Logan. Yeah. I was about to say Wolfen, but that's definitely not. <laughs> Step up, Albert Finney. <laughs> Skyfall's t- Albert Finney. Can I talk to you, Gregory Hines? <laughs> oh, wow. But so we we kind of seamlessly uh, go into a, again, another Spiel, great Spielbergian transition. We seamlessly transition into a, a bike chase mm-hmm. which is a variation on the bike chase from last crusade yes because it's father and son once again it's father and son this one's better than that one i would say and this is the smoking up until gun the end of, this yeah this is this this is the <laughs> <laughs> this is the smoking gun of their father and son i think because i the, you've made this like, argument but go go ahead i want you to say what you're gonna say i mean you i I think pre pre publicity probably revealed it. If you're paying attention in the like, you know, diner scene, you get the idea yeah. of what's going on. But they they call back to the moment where uh, Indy gives Ma a disapproving look after he does something cool. Yeah, and it's it's very much a callback to Sean Connery's disapproving face. And so I think it's a callback as well, but I don't think it works as well as that one. But it's making a different point, which is that they don't know that they're father and son, but they're falling into the same patterns. So that's why I like it. They're falling into the same patterns, and I'll agree with you there. But in the last movie, like, again, that movie, it's a character joke. Two character jokes. One character's pleased with himself. One could give a shit. 
And what works is that Sean Connery is always looking at Harrison Ford with the disapproving mm. look. Yeah. I'm not saying it's as good. Okay, good. Because in this one, I'm just saying I'm saying that they're linked, and I like the, I like the interplay. I like the interplay between those two moments between the two films. Okay, that's all. Yeah, I know you're desperate to get in the Marcus Brody statue. I hear you. I know. Well, uh, we'll get there. But I guess the, the thing that I noticed is that Harrison Ford is never looking at Shia LaBeouf until the very end moment. So the joke doesn't hit as well for me because he's always looking at the statue. But I think the joke isn't what's going on internally in the movie in the way that it is in the right. crusade. Oh, yeah. I think it's 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 about look it's it's about the connection between It's father and moments. son. Yeah. Yeah. But now but also, you know, it reminds us that Indy has But I think he, that that has... would be illustrated better if he was always looking at Shia LaBeouf yeah. instead of at Superman the statue. Superman 4, Quest for Peace. Gene Hackman did a good job, but he would also be improved if he looked the other actors in the eyes. We've, we've, we've established this. <laughs> From so early on. From so early on, we, we saw this. Um, it's kind of cool that when they go, th when they uh, ride through the protest, you think it's going to be anti-witch hunt protectors, but it's they're, they're anti-communist. Right. Because we're not quite there yet in mm -hmm. American history. It's a kind of an American history lesson. It's like the same kids, you know, kids on campuses in the 50s were not. Yeah. Were, they were pro protesting the same people who would be protesting in the late 1960s. <laughs> so that whole bike chase is punctuated with that, uh, you know, the fall on the, the library floor. Well, we've got Marcus's. I mean, you know, I, I, I would be remiss. You got more to say? No, if I didn't give you the opportunity to, to land the punch of Marcus Brody's disembodied head. Yeah, I mean, I just, is, like you said... They, they're still using Marcus for poor slapstick, even after the actor and the character are even dead. Even after he's dead, yeah. In statue He seems to be this. wrapped up in his robes as a dean of the students, which he's not. Yeah. Also, I, is that head, I didn't look close, I didn't zoom in, but is that head cross-eyed? I, I didn't zoom in, in enough in to find statue. out, but I'll say I'll Whoa. say this for the statue: that head really is a good head. It looks exactly like Denholm Elliott. <laughs> well, it's based on his death mask. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just one of those things that you know. This is one of those winks, one of those kitschy moments where I don't yeah. I don't need that joke in this movie. No, what does it that. do for you? You know. Oh, I agree. I agree totally. I would have taken that out. All right. Although I think comedically, the arriving in the library and the you know the kind of <laughs> on the go office hour. Yeah. I think works quite well. See, I think it would work it, better if the thing I keep thinking about is from movies from this time onwards. We talk a lot about like we talked about uh, what's the character's name, Akeem in Crusade? Kazim. Kazim. Uh, what a great actor. Doesn't have a lot to do. Great actor. The kid in this scene, I think it could be a better scene with just a little tweaking. He doesn't well, even acknowledge that a motorcycle has fallen in front of him. But put yourself in that poor, that poor kid's shoes. He didn't get 
the part in the Big Bang Theory that he auditioned for. Sure. He was on the short list, but he didn't. He didn't make. He, he you know made it to the final three, but he didn't get there. Can we not allow him this? <laughs> Can he do it? Just and he didn't even know. He didn't even know Young Sheldon was in the pipeline. Right. He could have. You know, he would have been set up for life. No, I. I mean, I. I just like the. I didn't notice it being a particularly bad actor, but I, I just like the conceit of he's not surprised that this is happening because that speaks to the idea that Indiana Jones is never working at Marshall College. It's always, he's just you. It, he's always in the middle of some adventure, <laughs> yeah. and that this happens quite often, and no one is surprised to see him turn up with a in a motorbike in the library. And I like the way that that Harrison Ford delivers that the, i do like the, yeah yeah you got to get out in the field and then he heads off on the on the bike again all right fine well let's go to peru <laughs> <laughs> by the way why well, does this movie they, take they so much time to tell you that mutt's gonna bring his motorcycle it's gonna be like barely Surely, in where's this my movie. razor yeah yeah you know they're not yeah, even going to use the it's fucking like motorcycle. It's taken off him instantly, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, completely. it's taken off him as soon as he gets... But, you know, it's just a plain... Again, it's like a, it's all for the sake of a plain joke. And so we can see Indiana Jones and the familiar hat sleep. He's got a hat sleep, I was going to say, yeah. Yeah. It's, a, it's, it's just a kind of riff on that. But they have that scene where they're going over the... You know, they're basically establishing the... The history and the folklore that's going to inform the movie and it's like this i don't know if previous movies had this much folklore going on at once mm -hmm. possibly like they were possibly like combining different folklores and and you know it was like a real mashup but this really feels loaded it feels like yeah several legends are being lumped again they're like mac yeah, kind of right. Too many legends into one There's story. There's too many things going on at once. And Crop then... circles and right. crystal skulls and El Dorado. And, they, uh, you know, the movie just hasn't decided what its MacGuffin's going to be. Yeah, that's true. Well, I mean, the crystal skull is the is That's the MacGuffin, but once you get it, but once you get it, it doesn't seem to matter. <laughs> Also, also, and we'll get into this later, there are also two or three different crystal skulls floating about. Yeah, right. You know, and there wasn't two or three arcs. There was five Shankara stones, so maybe I've <laughs> yes. just proved my own point. Right. But they weren't, you know, you kind of knew where they but were. But we found the three important ones that you could put in the stone skull yeah. in the Temple and you, of Doom. And, they, you know, you put them close together and according to you give an incantation and then they light up. Yeah. <laughs> Not according to me. It happens in the movie. Well, that's he your fucking I've, that's says your some gibberish, and then they light on fire. Yeah, so they they arrive in Peru, um, and this is <laughs> start talking about Pancho Villa. Well, that's it. So this is the first time. This marks the first time that young Indiana Jones was brought into the movie canon. Because this adventure is one of the episodes of India, young Indiana Jones, and. Oh, I haven't seen all I, of it, Young India. You keep referencing it, and then I, you know, I, I don't. A, well, no, I haven't it, seen all of it. it, it so that's an episode. I, yes. Oh, yeah. One of the episodes, he goes. He he leaves home. Um, and he almost he, like, died goes, of typhoid. He goes for like a he goes for like a stag weekend. Um, uh, Tramp. In, Mexi 
in, in Mexico and he ends up riding with uh, with Pancho Villa. And I don't think he comes home for like 10 years. Oh, so he stuck with him for a while. No, not with Pancho Villa. That's where he meets Remy, oh, his Jar Jar. Um, but anyway, that, the, the point, well, at the least point it, making... at least it got him to learn that one strict weird dialect that is one of yeah. the seventy-five well, the... languages yeah. that he knows. And none of that's in the episode. But um, <laughs> damn it! But this, to me, it's like this is good. This is good on the side of good fan service because it's the and I'll, I'll make the similar point about Dial of Destiny as well that it's a bonus. Like knowing young Indiana Jones. It's a bonus, you but the... you don't have to have it to... Right. Yeah. It, it, it just elucidates what you already know is happening with Mutt, that he is, he is the, you know, in, he is the young now young Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. And there, so the reference is telling you that because he was about the age that Mutt was when he went off to ride with Pancho Villa. Mm-hmm. And you can get that from the scene without knowing the content, you know, having seen the episode. But, you, you know, wider viewing is rewarded without it compromising what you're actually seeing. Mm-hmm. Uh, looking at you, the Marvels. <laughs> <laughs> and We don't have time really... for another case, Tom. Stay on topic. <laughs> I believe you're in courtroom three. <laughs> Uh, but this scene also, so the dialogue in this scene also about, you know, what happened, Mutt's education and how that's been going. I think it, it, it sets us up, it sets up the hypocrisy of fatherhood really well, which is, mm-hmm. it's kind of a different father-son dynamic, the different ideas. He's that, starting you know, to build a father dynamic, but yeah. he thinks of Our him as a, a friend, yeah. so his, his yeah, vice exactly. is different. Yeah, I love it. I, so it's it's true. Your vo- your viewpoint on others changes changes when you know they're your kin. Yeah. I mean that the, the the cynical example is me not giving a shit about other people's kids, <laughs> but you know everything my kid does is a source of endless fascination. And sure. I think it deserves to be the topic of conversation. But if you apply that to another kid in his demographic, I'd be like, it's just talking gibberish. Why are we paying attention to him? And I, I think this is, and again, like the last movie has some interesting things to say, you know, in an observational comedy sense about fatherhood. And I think we we get the same here. Yeah, once you have kids, it's like comedy. it's full focus. I can remember talking to a friend, Kelly Todd, years and years and years ago. Her kid was like, we were all out to breakfast. She's playing in a kids playing in a fountain or something. Yeah. And we're trying to catch up, and she's like, so tell me more. And I'm talking, but while I'm talking, she's just constantly saying, stop it. Get out of there. Knock it off. Stop it. And after about five minutes of that, she turned to me and said, what were you saying? And I said, I said I was dying of cancer. (laughs) 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 Nothing I said would have reached her brain for even a second. She was essentially being Marion in this movie. Marion has nothing with, to do in this movie except the, jump off a cliff on, into a well, tree. Well, no, that's what she does in this movie. She gives it. She's like uh, doing what you just described, but with fencing. Yes, yes, exactly. Oh man, we'll get to it about four hours from now. This is this is this. We get the return of Mac. Return of the Mac. Oh man. Oh my God! I didn't even know I was Look doing that. Look at you. Return of the Mac, uh, who's in his belloc phase right now. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> so, and it also makes me think, hmm, if he'd stayed a villain for the entirety of the movie, this would really help with his characterization. <laughs> but no, we're gonna we're gonna mess about with it again. 
Uh, and then we're into the... Well, the, the, we go into the Asylum. Yeah. Which is where we're turning the horror knobs of the franchise here, I think. We're like... Oh, and the Oscar moment. To... <laughs> this is your first... This is, to be fair, this is your first derisive comment about Shia LaBeouf's acting. But yeah. I, I don't I, even I, think I, the I, acting's bad in the moment. I just think it's, like, turned up to a volume well, that the you know. rest of us in the audience have to catch up to. I think the I think the worst part of it is again it's you know when you think too much about what's going on with short round it's kind mm-hmm. of tragic. Yeah. I think like here it's like it's like Oxley is a way better father than Indy would ever be to much. <laughs> and you know this is before Indy's done any 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 kind of fathering. Mm-hmm. And it's already true. But yeah, we're we're kind of like we're in horror territory for the first time, kind of since Temple of Doom, because we got zombies, we got crazies. Yeah, so I, you know, because when we get into the Lost City, these people, the people, the living, well, they're called the living dead. What am I saying? It's like they're like zombies. They're called the living dead. They're zombies. <laughs> I can't figure them out. No, I think they're living people. That they look that's like the, living. That's the people. most I can think. That's the most I can tell you about them. Yeah, I don't think they're literally the undead. I don't think so either. <laughs> but but on the there other seem hand, to there's be... nothing to disprove that they are. Yeah. <laughs> but they also seem to be waiting around in abandoned places for decades, hoping one white <laughs> grave robber comes by. Be very careful, because what you're describing there is also the Grail Knight. <laughs> I have that problem with the Grail Knight as well. Sorry. There you go. So, I mentioned that. Because I, I was saying, it's like, I don't think they're literally the undead. And then I said, well, we've had a zombie in this series yeah, already. totally. <laughs> About an hour ago, we've had a zombie, so... <laughs> I bet you don't like the uh, the CGI scorpions. They don't look as bad as other things. They don't, do they? So, they look pretty good. So I'm okay with it, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and this, so it... And I think also, I think right you can job. learn something. I like that Indiana Jones <laughs> says, the bigger the better, you're fine, let's go. Yeah, they, yeah absolutely. You know? um, and But it was, I think it was the right choice when, you know, you know you're working with CGI to sort of move past the creepy crawly element of the past movies because yeah. you're not going to recreate that with CGI. Well, no they're going to try. Giant... They're going to try, but not here at least. Yeah. They just sort of, you know, they light it well enough that it disguises its digitality. Yeah, I agree. Which is not a word, but, you know, I'll... Uh... I think I'll... I'll, I'll... <laughs> Your Honor, I'll let it pass. Enter it into evidence. <laughs> I do like the joke, though. I like when they're fighting, and I like—I really like the moment from Shia LaBeouf when he goes, "You're a, you're you're a teacher, part time." <laughs> oh, okay. Most people really hate that joke. I quite like it. I I'm like that like joke it as well. Yeah, yeah. It is. That's a, that's a, that's a good joke. It's not true, true or accurate. No, no, yeah. Uh, <laughs> he's clearly a full time teacher. But I a, also it's, like it's that they're guy. giving play a lot in this movie to just coming right out and calling Indiana Jones a grave robber. Sure. 
And he himself says, well, good thing we're not. Like, he's just so patently full of shit. As he throws, as he throws the shovel. The shovel to him, yeah. It's it's a good, it's a good, uh, it's a good play with the, you know, his reputation, I think. It's a, you know, like in Temple of Doom when they, when Shadalal talks about uh, his penis being cut off. Yeah. But then we get into this, well, we get on the topsy-turvy seesaw. But I think we you mentioned this, I think, uh, towards the end of uh, Last Crusade. We're, we're going from the, the world of uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark, where cobwebs feel very real, yeah. to now we're in full Hollywood. <laughs> yeah. Not believable cobwebs. And I notice when they get into it's that... it's very gothic. I mean, it's like Hollywood gothic rather than... Yeah, It doesn't right. feel soundstagey. It feels like... It's the haunted house of the movie. It's George Luke. I don't George know. Lucas's I, trademark I disagree. House. I disagree, especially when they get into the tomb. There's a moment where I look up and I'm. I think I'm actually just seeing a light in the wall, hmm. like an actual light that's putting light onto the, onto the rest of the tomb. When they well, what did the, what did, what did the Uga do the rest of the time? I don't they know. Need a lamp in the wall to just read some. You know, read the periodicals. <laughs> Don't you defend that? Live, live, living dead monthly. Yeah, but there's some good I, I, uh, visceralness. Some great dialogue in this scene. When they're really good dialogue. The I love that Indy says they kind of call back to how uh, adaptable he is in terms of his religion, because mm-hmm. they sort of say, you know, they talk, they look at the alien skulls like these people thought these were gods. It's like, well, you know, it depends who your god is, and it's like a that's a good comment from a guy who shifted allegiance between sure. a Jewish god, <laughs> an Indian, but the yeah. Hindu god, the Jewish god, and the Christian god fairly flexibly throughout these movies. Yeah, and I like that he says to Mark again. This is I, I always focus on moments where they call back to Temple of Doom, even indirectly. <laughs> he says, "Don't touch anything." Yeah. Nah. Which is such a short round, is it? It's a moment. But he also yeah, gives him yeah. he gives him the Alfred Molina block of the arm too, so it calls back to Raiders as well. It does, yeah. and something you know, I know uh, something else I always like is when they when they put a bit of uh, they dip a little Sherlock Holmes in the in the formula, mm. and Mutt M- passes the Sherlock Holmes test, or you know Sherlock Holmes famous moment i can't remember in what story it is but sherlock holmes sort of basically says to watson you know you know my methods you know what i do go do them you tell you 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 look at this object and you tell me what it is yeah. and muck kind of does that yeah um and he passes the test mm-hmm. and there's a good little moment of body horror when they're cutting up in that mummy and get the skull out that looks yeah. good that looks good I'm glad you said that because I didn't want to have to argue about that. <laughs> he says air, air doesn't agree with him, and I feel like yeah. this is an extension of the Doc Brown transformation. Like it's used again using CGI, but to make it feel more visceral and real. Doc Brown going in the other direction. At the end of Last Crusade, you know when he yeah, that's not in, Doc Brown. He turns into Doc Brown. Oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, yeah. <laughs> When he decays. When he decays and the hair gets long. Okay, fine. I forgot you referenced that. I thought you were were calling Donovan. That's right. I thought you were just... How long have we been doing this podcast? Do you really think I would think Christopher Lloyd (laughs) was Donovan? (laughs) Well, 
That would. The that... leader of the project was your father. <laughs> Actually, that would make more sense. That would be great. He would be zany enough. I to think keep we've that been doing this podcast exactly long enough for you to make that mistake. Uh, okay. Yeah, it could have gone full circle, and I've yeah. lost my 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 Marcus marbles. Well, so they get it, and then my my note is Mac catches them, right? So they go to the jungle, so that Kate Blanchett can give I... us a narrative dump. Next well, I, well, also, like I, so this I talked about Last Crusade having a, an octopusy problem of too many villains. This one has an octopusy problem, but it's that you're unable to keep track of the MacGuffins, because I don't know which crystal skull they have. Yeah. Because they did they get like I'm like did they get the crystal skull from the warehouse? Where's that now? Is that still there? So, What's this crystal skull? so yeah. Why are there two crystal? Why skulls? are there two crystal skulls? Because at one point she still has the alien body, and she opens up the head, and there's yeah. the crystal skull. Is it like a fab? Does he kind of switch it with like the Fabergé eggs and octopusy? I don't I think mean, so. I think I, no, I, I don't I, think so either. I, I think there's only one crystal skull that matters for some reason that yeah. we're not told. <laughs> right. So, but this is caught. one of the weakest yeah. parts of the movie for me. Well, the weakest part's coming up, but but no. but this tr- this transition scene speaking way too soon. This transition scene is is like leading the laser line map. It's like leading to uh, what's not going to be good for the rest of the movie. I like the when they do the laser mine line map. Of, I mean, you know, for like, like said, the only thing that's a half that's an common, inch. It, it's, it's only com- but I also like the idea that it that it's like an older frailer indie who made no attempt to escape during that trip. It's yeah, just like, right. all right, okay, I'll take a nap while we're in the on the plane. <laughs> yes. But Max' plan is already is kind of changing before our eyes because so that's the thing. He yeah, in the, he's in the opening scene. He says, you know, what whatever it is, I, I've got to go back and repay Jabba or whatever whatever it is he says. <laughs> No, he's saying we don't even have a reason. He just has. He says something about uh, the, like his betting life has not been good. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah. Um, And now it's just like I'm trying to build a lifetime fortune. That's like that's not what you. That's not what you said the last time you were on screen. He says we could be as rich as John or uh, Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes. I almost said John John, Hughes. John. This really is a callback to eighties movies, right? We can be as rich, to be as rich as that Home as... Alone guy. <laughs> How great would it be if Max said, "You remember the Breakfast Club?" <laughs> no, it won't happen for decades. Here we get we get a I just say half a temple reference here because uh, Spalco quotes Oppenheimer quoting the yeah Hindu yeah totally. <laughs> Quoting the Hindu, uh, the Hindu texts, yeah. I'm like, oh, it was so close to a temple pull. I, I'm, I'm so, I mean, I'm, that was such a missed opportunity for for um, Indiana Jones to Shiva splain. <laughs> that quote, right? <laughs> totally. G- given how much he knows about Hinduism, yes. And this is where he sort of he gives the original pitch for the movie, where he says, "Saucer men from Mars." Mm-hmm. Uh, and his which is what I have to imagine Steven Spielberg yeah. said no. to George Lucas. 
No, it was the other way around. George Lucas said it's Indiana Jones and the Saucer Man from Mars. That's what we're making. Yeah, that's and what George Spielberg... Lucas said, right? Yeah, but, but Spielberg was... But like... I'm talking about the doobie, like, you know, what... Yeah. Indiana Jones says it like, what is this, some bullshit? Which is what I well, imagine yeah, that... Spielberg oh, said I to see. Lucas. Yes. yes, it is more like the it is more like the feed the executive feedback. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> to the pitch. Yeah. Um and but I you know, I think in the end I would say that Spielberg's resistance for them going full uh flying saucers kinda of holds back this movie a little bit, I think. Oh. Well. It would have been cleaner. And they get, they they go right up to that line, <laughs> and pass it. They, but they, what are you but talking when they about? get, no, they no, they get right up to they say, saying you right up to the line of the the saucer men, and then they walk it all back in the last few minutes of the movie by just calling them interdimensional beings. Well, that's what I mean. Like what? But that's that's different. You know, who like, leaves on a flying them, saucer? Make them Martians. Make them Martians. Why, why can't they be Martians? They look like Martians. They may as well be Martians. They may as well be Martians. You know that famous that famous band that specializes in children's music. They may as well be Martians. So and in and so indie skepticism is unbelievable on so many levels. With what he's With seen, he's and, seen. He, and he can't contemplate the idea of aliens. <laughs> and he's like, "There's always another explanation." It's like, is he just? For, does he like? have memory problems what what is going on no here? i think he's speaking for the audience <laughs> well that's that's for sure you just like just like in the last movie when indy's description of marcus was better than actual marcus here indy's description of oxley in previous scenes is a way better use of john hurt than totally what we get in the movie because in the movie Og John Hurt's Oxley is basically Marcus a few more years into the future of his dementia. Sure. <laughs> oh man. This so this scene I mean obviously this scene has got the whole invasion of the body snatchers vibe of you know we will we will control your minds we'll make you think like we do that whole 50s mm -hmm. you know fear of conformity and anti-communism working together but there's a lot of that late 70s brian de palma cronenberg psychic warfare here too mm -hmm. <laughs> this idea of like you can blow up someone's mind you know telepathically blow someone up yeah like the end scanners. of the scanners <laughs> scanners or the fury which is an odd layer to put on this on this i guess it, it's where they it's where they come from cinematically in history is that you know? I guess the is one of that contemporary. But, but it just feels like this movie's starting to get muddled beyond repair. Yeah, and she's. It's interesting that, again, it's not quite a temple callback, but she's trying to control his mind, like the blood of Kali. Yeah. It's like a, it's 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 a it's a <laughs> high tech version of the blood of Kali. <laughs> well, and then, uh, and then and then we meet Marion once again. We do. She gets a fan service entrance. Really does. But uh, it's a complete and, and total... When we reveal that Indy is Mutt's father, boy, is that Three's Company. Yeah, it goes straight into sitcom mode. The whole thing. Sitcom, sitcom, sitcom. I, I, if, you, if, you, if you were going to ask me where, where is this movie go past the point of no return, I would probably say, sadly, mm -hmm. because I, wa I want... You know, I, I want her to work out in this movie it's the introduction of marion yeah 
she, she seems like a is, completely not, different person. But it's not just her. Everyone is too heightened for this to be good. Yeah. Even Harrison, Even Harrison Ford. Ford. Actually, I was just going to Especially yeah. Harrison Ford. He is the most heightened <laughs> of all of them. The, the biggest acting he's ever done in his life yeah. in these scenes. Totally. It's, uh, yeah, they, they, I mean, you know, they do Marion dirty here. Yeah. Not just for not giving her anything to do, but, he, you know, that uh, hate really makes me cringe where he goes over to Oxley and says, it's Abner's little girl. <laughs> like, <laughs> no, that's what George Lucas thought before Spielberg schooled him and said, no, 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 Marion is no. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's something else. But. They're trying to brush you up on Marion's backstory, but they're getting all the facts wrong. Like, or they're getting the facts right, but they're, they're missing the point completely. Mm-hmm. And then he starts doing, Oxley starts doing auto riding, which makes me think any kind of charlatan practice <laughs> is turned into like real into, life. Yes, it's turned into the magic that will magic solve the film. mystery of this crystal skull. And I, I'm I'm much harsher on these kind of things than I used to be because I recently rewatched JFK which used to be one of my all time comfort movies okay and I really <laughs> <laughs> no but you know just the, the the period that it was made in or the the actors in the movie yeah you know it looks it, it looks so nice it, it's it's kind of it's long and meandering you can just kind of dip in and dip out mm-hmm. it's, but I, I really, I just didn't enjoy it because, you know, I've always known it was bullshit. You know, I always knew it was like <laughs> high level. All of it was completely, was, was be you know, beyond fiction. But something like, I don't know, going back to it, probably the first time I've seen it after January 6th, I've thought, like, this stuff is dangerous. Mm. Putting this stuff out there in the world is dangerous. There are people who go around in their lives telling you that right, this right, right. really happened. And that's kind of how I feel about the way that this this movie kind of exploits really toxic pseudo historical ideas like crop circles, crop circles, like yeah. ancient aliens, auto riding. It's like everything that's allowed people to you know defraud uh, other people, and everything that's that's been used to discount populations of color, and just it's just all really nasty and toxic. And kind of going back to the Phantom Menace again, like, why is this? You're like, why is that movie so fucking racist? It's the same here. It's like, why, why did you pick all the racist imagery in 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 Western history to put to in focus on movie? in one movie? Yeah, and they're doing the same thing here with, and again makes, and again it makes me think that the stubby fingerprints of George Lucas are all over this movie. Well, I was more worried about jokes that don't work. Well, there's plenty of those. Let's not falling into sand <laughs> we, traps we're, and we're never gonna run out of those. <laughs> throwing snakes at him at Indy. I I mean I can't I help like but the, notice yeah. the use of the word intolerable from Indiana Jones. Hey, yeah. he would say something like his dad used to say, but it just feels like cursory. He I only mean, says it the once. The the you know I you've already you've set up for the payoff of finding out he's the son he's mud is his son and then saying why did you you know why didn't you make him finish school and that's the payoff to an earlier gag yeah. which is fine structurally it all it, that's all fine but everyone is so big in these scenes yeah that it loses all credibility 
and you know, obviously, animal and mud comedy. <laughs> you know, it was bad enough when we just had animal comedy distracting us from the drama <laughs> in Temple of Doom. Now we've got animal and mud, <laughs> mud and mutt, and animals to distract us. I'll say. Um, I mean, there's got you know, in every movie, there's a callback to his snake phobia. Yeah, but this is just the least successful of all of them. This is the least. This is the most sitcommy variation yeah. on it. Some I will I will say in in defense of this almost indefensible scene. <laughs> okay. I like, and perhaps not in execution, but I like the moment where he says, "Just call it a rope," because that does feel like someone who that seems like a realistic idea of how phobias work, like. It's like, just don't call it a snake. I don't know that I like that as much as both how, you know, Marion and Mutt tell them that it's a rope. That timing between them is very good, I think. Okay. Yeah. And John Williams is kind of, he's read, he's read this scene perfectly. He's not even trying to distinguish the score from the <laughs> Egypt scene in, uh, right. in Raiders. Yeah. It's kind of so funny. Like I, I had that revelation twice. First, when I watched the movie, and secondly, when I listened to the Crystal Skull soundtrack earlier today. And then I went back to my notes. It's like, oh, okay. Oh, I get it. All right, get it. let's take a break. Yeah. Oh, I gotta. Wow. Yeah. I gotta wash off and get ready for everything I hate the most. <laughs> yep. This is where the movie becomes Joe Johnson's Jumanji. Yeah. <laughs> All right. <laughs> we'll take a break and we'll be right back, everybody, right after this. It's time for summations. <laughs> We're finishing up. Longest summations that have ever been <laughs> The Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. This is where this is where I you know, you're not gonna do yourself any favors and I'm gonna win the case. Well, this might go faster just because I won't be challenging you, want you to on get any through of it. the points you're making. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that too. Well, no, I, I'm happy to talk Ladies about and gentlemen it. of the jury, I'd like to talk about this as fast yeah. as possible so that you can come come back with a, yeah. a verdict of not guilty. Well... This movie just goes to shit at this moment. The, well, the jungle mower is the fakest thing in the history of cinema. It, certainly this movie has looked, but yeah, <laughs> any of the Indiana Jones movies ever looked, and possibly any movie has ever looked. Yeah. Also, Again, just to know like, that they, 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 they didn't they, have to yeah. do that. We talk about this a lot. Well, you chose to do that. You didn't have to make it like a jungle without a road. Yeah, and... Especially and since you're doing it in CGI. J.W. Rinza, who wrote the... Uh, um, making of books of all the Indiana Jones movies was working on one for Crystal Skull, I believe. And he was on the set. Crystal Skull was the only movie he was on the set was, and he was, he said on a number of podcasts that I've listened to him as a guest on, he said the special effects weren't ready. Yeah. And they released the film anyway. And that is clearly evident. Mm -hmm. With every frame of what's happening for the rest of this movie. Yeah. It's, it's like, it's so bad. It's kind of, 
hyper real. Mm-hmm. It's hard to see again that sunset look. Mm-hmm. It's just hard to take any of the film seriously when it looks so much like a bad TV movie at this point. Right. I mean, the Ewoks movie looked better than this. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> I mean, they're more sophisticated special effects in a Lucasfilm production than this. Absolutely. Just a, a story point, quickly. You'd no wonder it feels like a sitcom because it's revealed in this scene that Indy, and this is the first. I, I we can't emphasize this enough. This is the first we've heard about what happened with him and Marion. Yeah. Since the end of Raiders. Um, and he introduced the it, stepdad. Well, Indian, yeah, in but well before that, Indy broke it broke off uh, oh the engagement yeah engagement a week before the wedding no wonder it feels like a sitcom there are st- <laughs> their stories essentially fraser and diane from cheers totally. not to mention sam and diane sam and diane yeah absolutely um and they gag marion because all they want is marion from raiders no more no less just just also just shut up yeah, no development of the woman she's become in between. Never for a second. She actually actively has to protest. I had a damn good life. Yes, right. And the character says that in the movie. You haven't given them enough play. Right. <laughs> and then a line I don't mind as much as some people minds, but I feel is like a a thin shadow of similar lines that have become four in the series. They weren't you, honey. Yeah, right. Like it's fine, but. I think it's only fine because Harrison Ford is saying it. He helps it a bit. Yeah. You know, it's the Temple of Doom, maybe but not today kind of uh, right. intonation, I think, is what they're going for. Then we get bazookas. Uh, bazookas and spinning sign, discs. Sign that, sign that your fucking movie's gone bananas. <laughs> uh, and that's before, the mon- that's before you even get the monkeys. Uh, yeah, it's like, it's we're nowhere like... near the monkeys yet. <laughs> It's it's like all the not quite there effects of Last Crusade have blossomed into the CGI monstrosity <laughs> I mean, that cannot be controlled. It, it feels so unwieldy, Tom. It feels yeah. it feels like Steven Spielberg looked around the room. He had one button to push, and it was CGI. Yeah, monstrosity he goes. Well, we we got we need some help. Yeah, should I hit the CGI monstrosity button? And everybody's like, Otherwise, I don't know. the background's going to be empty. Yeah, it's going to be a, just a white <laughs> screen with nothing. And they're like, it reminds you got to me... do it. So he hits that button, and then this happens. Not to take it too local, but do you remember a few years ago, there was a fireworks display here in San Diego, I believe it was yeah, uh, that... an Imper- Imperial Breach. You know the one I'm talking yeah, about? Yeah, that went off where, everything where in 60 seconds. Yeah, went off at once. Yeah. <laughs> that's that's what this looks like. If You're you right. see the picture of that. Yeah. <laughs> that's what it looks like it's like they simultaneously hit all the effects at once <laughs> give it some magic hour we've had magic hour this whole film more magic hour I tell you more magic hour I want that um, sun shining on Mutt's face while he swings on the vines with the monkeys in, in a movie that that resists none of the low hanging fruit in in front of it I do not know how they missed an opportunity with this line. Pull up next to that duck. <laughs> how that scene didn't end with a with a like a them the, the the car the car coming in with it like and then just a duck flying off as they move in. 
I really don't know. That, I mean, that's your missed joke. That's my missed joke. Yeah. yeah, that's that's the missed opportunity. There's something also weird about the overlap between this movie and Twin Peaks: The Legacy. Is that what it's called? <laughs> the new Twin one. Twin Peaks: The Return. The Return. Twin yeah. Peaks: The Return. Yeah, because that has atomic, uh, like a, a to- nuclear um, atomic experiments. A character who dresses up as Marlon Brando from the Wild One, <laughs> and a dimwit version of a legacy character. So it's like, right? It's so weird that crossover. I, I guess you need to be. I, I once again, I guess you need to be David Lynch to pull this shit off. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times the word "fake" comes up in my notes. Fake cliff driving. Yeah. Fake sword well, fight. Of- Speaking of fake... Fake flowers hitting nuts. <laughs> this is uh, the Mac Double Bluff. Yes. Is revealed in this scene also. But it's his he's biggest reveal- jonesy. <laughs> it's, he's revealed as, his, as a CIA agent for a while. For a bit. Yeah. A twist that adds nothing and is then twisted back again. Yeah. So you didn't need it. And this... So... I think this is an insult because I think the graphics look better. In what I'm comparing it to, but all the fighting across cars, mm-hmm. this reminds me of like being on the theme park ride. You know, the way that the foreground and the background so, don't quite match while you're moving. Yes. <laughs> so it's so funny you say that because you were talking about when we did Temple of Doom, you were talking about the minecart being sort of yeah. the impetus for the Disneyland ride. But I yeah. see Disneyland ride in this, even though the ride was created long before this movie was made. But they re- they rebooted but, it yeah. for Crystal Skull, I believe. Oh, man. What a mess. Because it feels like, in that ride, it feels like it's Jeep. You're getting into Jeeps. So it feels like this. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I've never been on that ride. Is that what it is? I think so. Have you been on it? Oh, yeah. Tons of times. Okay. Yeah. I, it's always been closed, uh, closed or way too busy whenever I've been to Disneyland. Wow, um, never been on it. Now it's been closed for like I think it's closed until they redo it, so it won't be the same ride. It's like a, they're doing like a post Dial of Destiny. We gotta add some dials. Reboot. So it'll be ruined by the time I ever. Get we gotta on see it people in time. togas. Yeah. If only I had a Dial of Destiny you could go back in time and just have the just have the original recipe version of the ride, even oh, pre Skull. That's funny. You know what the worst thing about... <laughs> this is a big statement. Whoa, about... whoa. <laughs> All right, you tell me your worst. Well, it's not the worst thing, but... Well, I think... Think of how many of... things you could pick to be the worst thing yeah. in this set piece. The worst effect in this set piece for me is mutt straddling cars. I th- well, you might be right. And the worst thing I've ever seen in a film is Shia LaBeouf looking like he's enjoying it sexually. <laughs> On a human level. <laughs> this is this is what made him say yes to Nymphomaniac. That's right. There we go. <laughs> If only, I, if only I could be in a movie that scratches that itch I got when I was straddling the car right. and tree branches <laughs> were hitting my crotch. But, I mean, everything that's happening on screen with 
the cars on the cliff, that sword fight is just mm-hmm. with Marion trying to coach him from the fucking driver's seat. Mm-hmm. Fuck, it hurts my heart. It's so bad. I'm skipping ahead a little bit because this is post monkey. I feel like I feel like there was a time before the monkeys and a time after. Um <laughs> well. but but um yes. you know you know but anyway I, this is po- but when the tree branch <laughs> rebounds when they rebound off the tree branch and it bounces back and launches them down to the next level of the cliff yeah and when they get on a tree branch it's like this is cartoon land now yeah we left reality behind yeah. on the top of that cliff so that's the worst reality moment. Who looks over a cliff while driving a car, sees a tree, and thinks, I can hit that tree. And then, like, like you know, everything that happens with the beep cartoon moment of it going down and they drive off the branch, as if she'd planned it. As if she knew that's exactly what would happen. They're basic. They're try Basically, they've got nothing for Marion to do but drive. So it's got to be the best jam driving you've ever seen. Like Steve McQueen, eat your heart out. But let's go back to those monkeys, cause that was the mm. moment I never forgave this movie in the theater. Yeah, I, I was begrudgingly unhappy for a lot of the movie, and then the monkeys happened. <laughs> there was a as I say, there was a time before and a time it after the monkey broke my brain. Also, historically, why does everything catastrophic in a Lucasfilm production revolve around swinging through the jungle like Tarzan? <laughs> you think they'd have learned their lesson by now after <laughs> right? Chewbacca's Tarzan yells? Get your shit together, Lucas. Yeah, and you but know, I disagree as... with you because I think my single worst CGI moment. The ants is the ants go the ants going into his mouth. Oh, I tell you, I tell you what the absolute worst moment. See, like we've descended into just <laughs> trying to one up each one up each other on what sucks. So, is what, it the boots the most, going into the hill? The most offensive thing in this <laughs> such a big statement. The most offensive <laughs> thing in the statement for me, and this is a this is this is the principle of it. Um, and other movies, other move, CGI-laden movies have done this, and it's very irritating there as well. When they splat the ant... And the goo. And the splat, the it goes into the camera as if it's real. Yeah. No, not your territory. Yeah. Don't you dare suggest to me that this is real. Right. Okay? That's, don't fabricate... <laughs> you know, basically that's like... Digitally doing a lens flare, which I assume J.J. Abrams does, but I expect better from Spielberg. <laughs> what are you talking about? That's where he learned it from. I, I know, but he learned entirely the wrong lesson. Okay, fine. They, they only had lens flares because they were filming stuff quickly. <laughs> um, yeah, oh. the an- I mean, so this is the thing. It's like it, before I've been saying... It's kind of weird how this hat, how Indy's hat is magic. Yeah. And, you know, we've had conversations before about the hat just kind of jumps back into the frame mm-hmm. for no reason. And it's, you know, somewhat magical. 
but it uh, helps. Like, you know, I don't understand why Steven Spielberg can make it work in one movie and can't make it work in this movie. Well, it's because... What like, went wrong? The, because I was prepared to see more magic shit with the hat because, as we said, they're never going to abandon the hat mm-hmm. this deep into the series. But I never thought I'd see it being carried by ants who are being psychically, psych- psychically directed, directed by a by Alien skull. A quartz skull. Which contains Dan Aykroyd's vodka. All right, settle down. <laughs> so so when they, when they go so they go over the cliff. Three um, times. They gotta they gotta fall three well, times now. And honestly, the overlighting of the fair faces in the boat makes me think that they all died and now they're ghosts. And they're ghosts, yeah. But it's funny because I. Oh think... no! There is a digital lens flare here. Is there? I've got the, there's a digital lens flare, which is just as offensive as a CGI camera splatter. Oh man. Yeah, they just can't accept that they've abandoned the concept of practical filmmaking. Yeah. That's what offends. And it's about it. and that's that's the hardest thing for me to take in the second half of this movie. Mm-hmm. It's like Steven Spielberg forgot who he was. Because that's the magic of of Raiders of the Lost Ark. You're seeing but all this fantastical yeah. shit, but you're watching a guy actually get dragged by a truck, and it's Harrison Ford himself. But but Spielberg hasn't accepted this because if you watch the making of, he talks about how joyous it is to, in the age of CGI, to be making a movie that involves practical set design. That like what? when he's talking, well, he's talking about the lost, specifically the lost city and the detail of the set design there, which is pretty impressive. Oh, okay. Well, I mean, we'll get um, to it, but 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 you, but that said, he's not he's not come to terms. Once you what... have people start climbing out of the walls, though, you <laughs> you lose. Oh, but that. that's good. That's that's kind of uh, it's kind of theatrical, isn't it? It's sort of like yeah, but it's also nonsensical. I was, well, no, it's no different from the guy coming out of the wall in the painting in the wall in Temple of Doom. It's completely different. That's a guy hiding in the fucking dark corner. These are people that just... They're, they're hiding inside the rocks. And they're contortionists. So they, anyway, I'm not... How long do you think they're waiting inside of the rocks for Unclear, a white person might... to come through? Hey, if they really are the living dead, it doesn't matter. <laughs> you already said, Your Honor, he already said he thinks they're real. <laughs> he cannot enter that into evidence. <laughs> Sustained. Oh, I didn't know. I didn't know I had to make consistent arguments. <laughs> no, yeah, it's such bullshit. Three, three times it drops. So you know what they, I kept thinking take, about? Taken the magic realism of Temple, multiplied it by three, yes. and left the semblance of reality behind. Yeah, I think of Temple of Doom, of course. But I also, because specifically it's a waterfall drop, I think of one of the greatest stunts I've ever seen, which is in Romancing the Stone. Mm. Inside of a car. Yeah. And then they get out and they jump off. and it's Which t- is itself an Indiana Jones ripoff, isn't yeah. it? But it's two actual actors yeah. actually jumping off of a waterfall. And in this one, I yeah. love that they keep getting back into the car. Like, that's I safer. Know. <laughs> oh yeah and this is also where we this is this is the point at which i realize i don't understand what's going on i've not questioned it up to this point me either and what i don't get but, is 
I they have. This is where this... I re- I'm like, oh, he's on some kind of a quest. I should have been paying more attention to what whatever <laughs> the quest he's on is, so... because I don't know where he's going, what he's doing, or he's why he's doing it. apparently told by the skull that he has yes! to go in to return the skull. When he he says, can do that by he... himself, he says. He doesn't want anybody else to get hurt, yet brings everybody else along. And then on top of it, we have the switchy, switchy, switch, switch of Mac. Yeah. At this point... I don't know why he's he's clearly working for himself. So if he's that far ahead of the Germans, he wants to leave the Germans in the dust. There's no reason for him (laughs) to leave. It's calling them the Germans and you've got no idea you're doing it. (laughs) This is like me calling him Bond. That's because that's all they are. They're the yeah. Germans for, for that's right. all you've got, intents you've got and purposes. The Lithuanians yes. and got the... <laughs> so there's no reason for him to be leaving red-dobbed doohickeys to get Kate Blanchett back in his life. That's true. I hadn't even thought about that. Yeah. But but, but we need when... her. But the movie needs her to be there at the end to... Yeah. Have her eyes catch on fire. <laughs> yes. When when Indiana Jones says, like, they're asked quite legitimately, why, why are you taking the skull here? Yeah. And he says, because it told me to. News to me. <laughs> right. But it's also news to everyone else in the scene, which makes me wonder, what did everyone think they were doing up until this point? <laughs> Where did they think they were going? Well, maybe they just thought they were going for the treasure. Okay. So it's why another... am I sticking up for this movie? I don't know. No, I mean, I'm I'm happy to hear. You know, I'm happy to to hear alternatives. But it kind of feels like, as an audience, we've been we've been lied to and misled about what's going on <laughs> for the past half hour of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. This is the first time the 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 ghost people are called the Uga. The Uga, which I feel like could have come earlier in the movie. You know the name of the of the of the tribe, uh, but we're going to use them again, so we've got to name them now. Uga, um, Uga, 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 Uga Shaka, Uga Shaka, uh, and then we go into like a deleted scene. You from did that so Pete much better Jackson's. than me. You notice how I couldn't remember the exact. <laughs> The Shaka was the Shaka was fast on the tip. Yeah, it was too far gone. We go into what looks like a deleted scene from Peter Jackson's King Kong. Yes, where the Uga kind of re reemerge, and it's like it's it's thirties Hollywood Pulp Fiction refracted through digital era filmmakers <laughs> like Peter Jackson. I like not the not the kind of original. You're gonna li- you're not gonna like me keeping harping on this, but. Uh, that stone like what do they do just scratch it and it crumbles away it's pretty pretty easy to get through and they're locked inside of stone my issue is not my issue is like yeah we get it booby traps but there's nothing memorable about these booby traps so no not at all we've had we've had varying degrees of booby traps throughout the series but they've all been in some way kind of memorable and And these are weak sauce 
sweet just the just like <laughs> well you cut away the thing and then it falls and it's like okay yeah i mean if i, I hit this I with it. a rock the sand will this fall this series likes its booby traps yeah. that's that's what i'm getting from from this scene and and um also you know the our our um we get one reminder per film Indiana Jones is pure grave robber. He loves his desecration, just smashing into those obelisk stones. <laughs> he even tells them to get their own rocks. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> There's nothing he loves better than smashing up an ancient room. Right. And this is the the it's revealed at this point that the I don't know what you call what would you call the interdimensional beings in relation to the movie? They're not villains. They're not heroes. What they're the, the, the they're just the there to catch your eye on fire. That's it. But they are revealed to be themselves archaeologists. Yes. Which is a bit like as having as stated by Indiana Jones, the archaeologist. This is like having Ray as a as a fangirl in The Force Awakens. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, then the the three three separate character twists for Mac. Oh man! And and now we're, now we're trying to retcon that Indy is a believer, but experience taught him to fear, not praise deities. So, so it's not that he's a skeptic; it's that he lives in fear of gods. And that's what he has to overcome. Not the fact that he doesn't believe in this, but that he believes too much and is scared of what the gods... Yeah, exactly. (laughs) My own eyes are going to go on fire. (laughs) But the other problem with it is that as Kate Blanchett is saying, gimme, 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 gimme the... Gimme, I want to know everything. I want to know everything. He starts backing up. He's like, oh, I believe you, sister. It's like he's giving... He's having that moment of... No, yeah. you're going to be fucked in a second, and I'm wise, so I'll step away. But then John Hurt yeah. steps forward, when... and he steps forward with him. And I think, well, what the fuck are you doing? Have you learned a lesson or not? Don't get near that thing. Well, it's just it's just a kind of muscle memory, isn't it? It's like whenever this stuff happens, me and Marison we just don't get look. the fuck out of we here. We just don't we look. We just turn our heads. <laughs> I, I also, I can't quite believe, and this is where I... Th- <laughs> I mean, it's both a sense of George Lucas looming over the production in a way he hasn't before, but it's also a sense of, I think, something I see in some of the Star Wars prequels where he's actively trolling the audience. Um, I've got a bad feeling about this. I, like, when he mentioned, when he throws that line out, that's the absolute last straw. It's the last straw. You're mixing up your fucking franchises at this point. It's it, again. It goes back to The Simpsons, and I'm Kevin Costner in one of his Western roles. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm Harrison Ford in one of his Lucasfilm yeah. roles. <laughs> yeah, and so the aliens are and the flying saucer. So they so in one sense they're drawing on, and I think this is. This is a dis- key distinction for this movie based on the previous ones in terms of uh, directorial references. They're referencing both 1950s sci-fi, the idea of the flying saucer, mm-hmm. but also the way that they, as filmmakers, have explored the genre. So when like, you see the aliens, the first thing you think is Close Encounters. Close Encounters, yeah, right. Um, 
just as at the beginning of the movie when you see the kids in the car you're like american graffiti so it's not just it's it's not just <laughs> again i think there's about seven layers of nostalgia in this movie and, and this one that they're pulling is it's like the movies that we made about these periods in history and about these subjects yeah but here's my other thing oh well it's skipping ahead a little bit but who cares i mean we have our cgi room spinning room of death and we are gonna light <laughs> kate's eyes on fire <laughs> Mac is Mac, the only person in the movie who's. Did you sound like Spielberg on the set. I bet he had to do this every ten minutes to remind people what was going on. <laughs> Mac is currently a bad Mac guy. Mac is currently okay. a bad guy, but Indiana Jones wants to save his life and wants to help him out. But Mac, the one person in the movie that you think would save his own life at any cost. I mean, he's the one, he's the first one out of that fucking room gathering yeah. jewels. But then he just stays just long enough to fuck himself and just well, gives up. you know up. why he got fucked in that scene? Go because on. Because he took the gold, cause, because Indy's got, a, got an in with Shiva and he takes the gold necklace off the Shiva statue. <laughs> At that point, Indiana Jones is like, thanks, Shiva. Okay. And the, <laughs> comes out Oakley of the cloud. Oakley, Oakley. Oakley, Oakley. But. No, it, yeah, it, it made nothing about Mac makes any, any sense. sense from, whatsoever. From scene to scene. <laughs> if you told me that Mac was actually like octuplets. <laughs> right. I'd be like, sure, yeah. They're all different people every time he appears. He's having a real John Lithgow raising Kane kind <laughs> of movie going on for himself. He's he's in his own remake of Multiplicity. Yeah. But after all that happens and they get spat out of the thing with the water tube, Indiana uh-huh. Jones stands up and says, no, the real treasure wasn't gold or any of that stuff. It was knowledge. Knowledge. Knowledge of what? <laughs> What knowledge did they well. gain? Yeah, just to not die. It's, yeah, it's 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 like a that they're desperate for a simple yet tacky idea to hang the film on. Totally, as they could come up with. He didn't gain any knowledge. No, no. <laughs> well, th- this is also where John Hurt starts speaking sense. He finally, like, with six minutes to go in the movie, they finally decide to let John Hurt be a fucking actor in this movie. And boy, you just, just, you know, John Hurt. He starts speaking and you all of a sudden are like, oh, I'm interested. John Hurt speaking in complete sentences (laughs) is worth anyone's time. It's so helpful. Interdimensional beings, in point of fact. Oh man! And I was like, "Well, there's the John Hurt we wanted," <laughs> and now the movie's basically over. For and Indy uses Indy uses his whip for the third and final time, so they're still doing the rule of three. They just yeah. kind of concentrated two of them earlier <laughs> on in the movie. <laughs> oh mercy! And this is this is this this is a leap too far, I think, and I don't think Indy would ever. Indy in the previous films would never dane to try and save mac i don't know he tries to sell save elsa but she's redeemed herself that's true he 
He has actually redeemed he's, himself he, less. He redeemed himself back into a piece of shit. Yeah, he's he re he re redeemed himself too many times yeah. to be taken seriously. <laughs> oh, the alien peering into the camera is just comical. I mean, oh, great. You said you you said you wanted to say bad haircut. I wanted him to knock on the camera. <laughs> that was what I wanted him to do with his alien finger. Yeah, with his with his long alien knuckle. <laughs> That's him imparting knowledge. And then they're kind of <laughs> this again. I, I when stuff goes wrong, I think of the Simpsons. Dig up, stupid! Because <laughs> <laughs> they're flooded uh, up, up, yes, up to the well so they can get out of the top. No, no, no! Dig up, stupid! Which I think I assume is an inversion of Temple of Doom when they're being chased by water out. down, yeah, <laughs> down and out. Now they're going up and around. Oh. And what I like, because we're about to see a flood take over the entire area, so you think that this is part of it, but mm. that you know it just gives it just gives them enough to escape and then recedes back down the tube. And and it's crazy, like they have a high end. Ed Wood saucer. Mm-hmm. So, why why are we making all these distinctions? And no, oh, no, not going into space. They're going into the space between spaces. Yes, they're interdimensional beings. But they're in a flying saucer. What the fuck does it matter? <laughs> you don't have to care about it too much, because it doesn't matter. Well, it's, you know, it's, it's Spielberg. <laughs> what, what year was War of the Worlds? He'd already done that, right? He'd already done War of the Worlds, I think. Yeah, I think so. Maybe the year so before. Maybe, maybe Spielberg was like, I just can't do another alien Or five movie. or six. Maybe he was just like, I can't do another alien movie. I can't, I can't another. have another one attached to my name. <laughs> Can we make them interdimensional beings? Can I tell you what I completely Mandela affected my for myself? For some reason in my head, when I was watching it this time, I thought this whole area was going to turn into Machu Picchu. Oh, interesting. Well, that would have been better. And instead, Your Mandela affected a better yeah. reveal. Well, once it became flooded, I said, oh, I don't think that's going to happen. <laughs> no. Yeah. War of the Worlds, and... 2005. Okay. So maybe it was maybe that was part of why Spielberg didn't want to go back to the alien well at this point. Perhaps. And yet Lucas made him have an alien well. Ooh, War of the Worlds, by the way. One of my like a moment where I hate Steven Spielberg. Agreed. Ooh. Haven't been back to that film since I first saw it, but Me neither. Uh, I was extremely even by that time I'd lost all interest in Steven Spielberg but even by that scene standards. where the camera's going around the car and through the windshield and around and yeah. down and underneath I always thought why doesn't he just put a picture of himself in the bottom of the screen waving his hands saying <laughs> look at me look that what I did so entertaining <laughs> Indiana no, Jones by the see- way no sense of self care as he's watching those rocks twirl around. Marion and Mutt have the good sense to be on the ground, hands over their head in the duck and cover position. He's protected by the magic, by the psychic magic of... Of knowledge? Of one of the two crystal skulls in the... 
of the knowledge he did not receive. Yeah. <laughs> well, the, you know, he can get ants to kill for him psychically. Yeah. Um, Again, it's a little bit like Last Crusade. Is there any residual effect of drinking the grail water? Like the same, is he <laughs> shaved five years from, from his aging? Maybe something's happened here that now he's kind of electromagnetic. There you go. I guess there's no evidence of that in Dial of Destiny, so it can't be the case. <laughs> Do you think this is an odd way to tell your, in quotes, lifelong friend that you are the father? That you are the father of, of this boy he's of, been a father a, to? Yes. <laughs> and, you know, this is, again, news to me that Oxley doesn't know that Indy's his father. Right. Because I feel like a man that intelligent would have put it together. Or that Marion, his apparently lifelong friend, would have told him the truth. Right. I'd, and I don't understand their... I, I don't... <laughs> I don't really understand any relationship Marion has with any man after Indiana Jones. Yeah, right. So there's like this... There's Williams, right? There's there's the, yes. the RAF guy. Mm-hmm. Oxley is just a babysitter. I just we're trying to figure it out. Well, I think Oxley was a friend. I, I gather that Oxley was a friend of Abner, her father. Okay. That makes I'm sense to me. He likes, but then I'm surprised he likes Indy so much, given what Indy, you know. Yeah, he's been a real piece of shit. <laughs> he, with his statutory rape of Marion. And left her almost at the altar, a week away from the altar. Oh, God, yeah. That's good. Wow, it's crazy has he not done enough to this woman right and then <laughs> and then a moment which i don't know tonally what they're going for but uh Mutt makes a joke about indy being a deadbeat parent and everyone laughs i know right i was like this is really sad well you were this is a hor. this is a, this is a horrible mm -hmm. thing to think about <laughs> there was there's something about this movie too you were mentioning about you know the uh the sort of mysticism of the movie, like we're layering mm. too many uh, oh, for sure. myths yeah. on top of each other. But you notice <laughs> there's a shot at the end of this movie where it's like you're seeing Mutt and in front of him you see John Hurt. And yeah. then behind him you see Marion holding Indiana Jones. And mm. you, you think, this is too many people. Yeah, too many. This is too many, too many. people. Too Way much. too many too people, people for an Indiana Jones movie. Yeah. And you can feel like, you know, when you look back on it and you think of that car chase and how many people they had to involve in the car chase. And you can add Mac to that. Not that he's there at the end. Oh, I do. Yes. But that's now five people you've layered into this. Well, and it's that's like a drive. It's like a drive through. Yeah. Would like and to, would you like to add Mac to that? When I saw them all together at the end there, it dawned on me. That's why this movie feels heavy. There's too many, you know. Indiana Jones is, yes, with Marion, but she gets kidnapped. <laughs> and then when he gets her back, he's like, I don't, you know, I'm going to go get that arc. I don't know. I'll think of something. He's off by himself, you know? Mm. He can leave the group. Well, also, again, the most successful like... they ever were was Willie and Short Round, keeping the three of them together. Yeah, yeah, when they're going to go more than more than a duo and that's what's nice about the first half of this movie is it's just Indian Mutt yeah and again that's what fans like the least about the movie mm -hmm. 
they pick the wrong battles. The issues that you should have is when is this bloated ensemble? That's the problem with the movie. Yeah. All the indie mutt stuff is pretty good. Is what the movie has going for it. Yeah. Well, then my note is uh, we have one of the worst the wedding kisses what? I've ever seen. Oh, okay. I, I like this scene. I don't like the kiss. It's weird. I I don't like it when uh, Mutt licks his lips <laughs> after he sees Indy uh, his parents kiss. Probably my only my only criticism You're of the acting note. in the movie. Yeah. But this scene is like this is what you have over lighting for is a scene like this. Like I yeah, totally right. get why you would want to light this the the wedding scene this way. The problem is the whole movie's lit like this. Yeah. I didn't need this in-between scene of Jim Broadbent finding oh, a, yes, I finding a fucking Bible. But but it's more than that, this scene, because it, he it's... Again, Is that the Grail written, Bible, by any written, chance? They've written themselves into a, another hole, haven't they? Because they made into the associate dean. They have to walk that back in the next Yeah, movie. right. And they're marrying him off. They have to, they have to walk that back. And... Um, He's now embraced academia because he's the you know he's taking he's not part time anymore. Right, he's full time. And but all like, of but, that but has like to go I, by the beginning of the next movie. But has to go by the wayside. But you know, like I said in the ranking episode, probably because of just Harrison Ford himself wouldn't allow it. This movie wouldn't allow Mutt to take on the mantle. He tries to put that hat on, and they're like, "Fuck you, kid." Well, before before we we get because that deserves discussion. We get the we get uh, we've just got our first glimpse of the John Hurt we wanted. Now we get the glimpse of Marion we wanted when she kind of throws away her bouquet and gives India the kiss. It's like it's the first the most active thing she's done in the entire movie. Yeah, but it feels the so most... sitcom. We're back to sitcom. Yeah. Well, I just, and and then the mutt moment is like I just feel like. It's the magical Godwind is just fucking with Mutt at this point. <laughs> because it's like, and I, I I always really enjoyed this moment because, you know, it really did subvert my expectations of, of what was going to happen because we, we know the convention of the magic hat routine. Mm-hmm. We know where the scene is drawing towards and then they go right up to the light of it and then they pull back very intentionally Yes, to suggest, and I, I, I like it. I mean, I like, I like the Harrison Ford's smile as he does it. No, like, yeah, right. I, I, yeah, it made me laugh for the first also, time I saw it. But it's just such it, a fuck you. But it's not. But it's like it, again. I feel again. Lucas is Spielberg are trolling the audience. They know full well the grief they're gonna get from Mutt, and they're gonna do it anyway. They're gonna do this moment. Oh, I don't anyway. think they know yet that they're gonna get as much grief for Mutt as they ended up getting. Well, George Lucas has been through the Star Wars prequels at this point. I think he knows where, <laughs> well, the t- where, where where the wind is blowing, the magical god. We wind did is talk. We did talk about that interview that you can't find that I still remember of him <laughs> saying, "It doesn't matter. They're gonna hate it." <laughs> that I can't find. It's not my responsibility to find it. You're the one who claims it's real. It is real. This is like an just, Area 51 situation. I wasn't I wasn't saying uh, there was a dereliction of duty on your part, okay? <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, this, and I guess that, you know, it's uh, 
Harrison Ford might have one more in him. Is yeah. The the message that uh that we're left in, but the, but it's kind of weird that well this gets into credit check now because the credits start. Go working. ahead, start um, credits. You have anything else to say? Nah. Uh, it's a bad movie. I, yeah, I know. I know you think that, and I think that too. <laughs> so the credits start to roll while the film's still going. We leave Mutt alone in the church. Mm-hmm. And you hear the slap of his leather jacket. And then he leaves the church. It's like, what is this moment telling us that Indiana Jones has created a whole new generation of absent fatherhood? (laughs) (laughs) He's going to fuck over Mutt just the way that his dad fucked him over. (laughs) What a weird choice to end the movie. (laughs) It's like you create a happy ending and then you subvert it with this weird half shot. Perfect. But then we fade to black. Uh, one of the stuntmen is a Gary Connery. If if not a relative of Sean Connery, <laughs> he, he was a shoe-in as soon as he submitted his resume. Right. Like like that woman who's called Voorhees. Voorhees, yeah. Who applied for Friday the 13th. She didn't get in first time, but she got in after Danny Steinman took over. My name is Voorhees. I have really big tits. Danny Steinman said, well, come on in. <laughs> Let's talk. Supervising location advisor Mike Fantasia. Right. Oh, now my. that is that is taking Disney cult loyalty to a whole to new another level. <laughs> it wasn't even Disney at the time. Dialect coach to Miss Blanchett. I'm surprised he wanted to keep his name on the film. <laughs> <laughs> I'm surprised that didn't read Alan Smithy. <laughs> <laughs> I assume. I absolutely she, should have. I assume she just wants a bunch of Greta Garbo movies, and that's how she got her accent. Oh. Apparently, someone was coaching her this whole time. So, space cam technician, hothead technician. I'm fascinated <laughs> to know what any of this means. Cape what are these jobs? She's got to be what, hothead. Hothead. What? What are these jobs? And what? Are, what? What are these pieces of equipment that they're operating? <laughs> Space cam. Um, apprentice sound editor Benny Burt. Now, is this Ben Burt Jr. or has Ben Burt come up with the worst ever pseudonym? <laughs> it's like Ben, you're doing far too many jobs on this movie. Benny Burt. You need like a Roderick Janes kind of name. Uh, Benny Burt. Well, we'll just yeah, call me sure, Benny. Okay. Yeah. Fine. Paramount got their real logo in there at the end. Mm. Corporate vanity only permits so much nostalgia in a film. Yep. I bet that was part of the deal. You can start with the, the yeah, old Yeah, but you're going to end with our regular logo. Yeah, that's right. Piece of shit. And as the years go on, we're going to add more flying stars. <laughs> Have them touch the water. Have them touch the water. <laughs> uh, credit check over. All right. Anything left for you? No, I, I no, I think I think we've covered we we've, we've covered it all. Um, I'll say. You you're more reluctant to admit that there are good things about this movie than I am, but we both basically agree on the second half of the movie. Ooh. I almost felt like we gave it a a pass towards the end there. There's just so much shitty what shit. 
stacked up one after another that you can't we possibly talk pass. about them all we in detail. We turned it into a competition. We didn't give it a free <laughs> No, let me tell you what's the worst yeah, thing. Let me tell you what sucks about this sequence. <laughs> oh, fantastic. All right. Well, having said that, Definitely, you like this movie more than fandom does. I like this movie so a little bit more than fandom does. So we got to hear from fandom. Folks, you're going to have to tell us what you think about Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know if I want to open up this Pandora's box. <laughs> <laughs> Is it at the bottom of your list? I think so. Yes. So you're going to have to... Go ahead and let Tom have it. Yeah. To tell do that, why, find it. It's a, a new segment called Tell Me Why I'm Wrong. <laughs> oh, I like that segment. <laughs> I believe you put up the money for the... Uh, <laughs> for the logo. For and the, the logo. Yeah, that was it. Yeah. The, the expansion, the, yeah. the advertising. It was. I believe it was your super fact that funded this, uh, <laughs> this segment. Well, find us on Facebook. Find us on Instagram. Don't find us on everything, anything else. Uh, and send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. That's it. Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull is in the books. Coming up next, we got some watching to do, Tom. One yeah. more watching. Uh, what do we got? A couple of days till we can? We're, uh, what's today? Tuesday? We got, we, Thursday? We've got three no, days. No, Friday. Friday, yeah. All right. Friday, we got to watch a movie. And Not then... that we're trying to date the podcast or anything. Yeah. Finally, finally, final decisions will That's, have to come. That code is about as crackable as 7310. <laughs> All right. For Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions, Michael Schantz here. I'm from the How Dare You Awards. Like I said, coming up next, we're going to dial that destiny. Say goodbye, Tom. What are you, like, 80? <laughs> I can't believe they never called back to this in the Dial right? of Destiny. <laughs> Not yet. Not yet. He was literally 80 by the time he finished that movie. <laughs> it's like the the only comparable moment is in uh, the movie Performance, which a uh, 1970 movie. Which I was going to say, I don't know this movie. Stars Mick Jagger as a as a rock star. Oh, my. Casting. And uh, I watched a revival. Pre-Free Jack. Pre-Free Jack. And I watched a revival of it in, like, <laughs> I don't know, 2005 or something. And there's a line in the movie where someone says to him, you'll look funny when you're 50. <laughs> <laughs> and the entire audience broke out into raucous laughter. <laughs> Yeah, that's a joke that really works after a few yeah, decades. That just, just keeps giving and giving. <laughs> that's great. All right, everyone. We'll be back. 